Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Prequelizers. <laughs> also known as Season 6 of Sequelizers. I am your host, Jack Chambers, as always, and joining me is Mr. Matthew Stockton. Uh, would that it were so sample. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, joining us is Mr. Tim Matum. Hey, kid, I like your style. I'm legally distinct from Rocket Raccoon. Oh, no, I'm dead. <laughs> oh dear she got sharp teeth I like that about him <laughs> my main concern with a woman or as a potential mate is does she got good teeth and then he shows him his teeth to prove that he means teeth <laughs> it's like unless I know that, what teeth are unless that's the equivalent of him just bearing his genitals at someone <laughs> she got big fat boobies and then just starts <laughs> juggling around with his hands and it's like, Jesus. I suppose that's you know a freer criminal um, that's what he's, a pirate would say Rio, Rio we hardly knew ye <laughs> <laughs> and thank god you filthy degenerate <laughs> I like drinking milk oh okay oh dear if you haven't already guessed, listeners, from all those bizarre references, <laughs> and the t- of course the title of the episode, it's time to do Star Wars. And the Star Wars prequel, no less. Oh. But not not those ones. Oh. <laughs> We're saving those ones for a, for a different different thing. Yeah. Later. Not episode one, two, or three. We're in fact talking about 2018's Solo, a Star Wars story, which is in fact... A disappointing Star Wars prequel. So, we're here to fix it. It all makes yeah. sense. This is one of those times where we do a bit of a... A kind of a bit of the mummy returns. Kind of... Um, maybe Star Trek V for me. Uh, Godfather 3, though. Where we're like, this film's actually okay. It's, yeah. it's functional. It's 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 fine. It's just, as, as Jack said, quite disappointing. Um, if I may, I'm going to read an excerpt from my upcoming novel... Jack, Matt, and Tim sail down the river. <clears throat> oh, no, wait, no, it's not finished yet. I'm going to read a, a, a review um, quote. To my mind, the film achieves the insurmountable by taking an extremely well-known character and producing a fun space pirating romp in, this, in spite of all the production dramas. But the problem with all prequels is that they remove the veil of mystery and quantify the sum parts, leaving us with answers that can feel unfulfilling, like an explorer completing a map and realising there is no more unknown left to discover. And I know that's going to be sort of a recurring theme that we go throughout a lot of these ones, but with Solo specifically, as in Han Solo the character, a lot of the blanks are filled in, but in truth, a lot of the blanks, we weren't even really conscious that we cared or needed to know about in the first place. Yeah, I think I think the main problem that this film has, aside from some, like you say, it's fine, there are some really, really stupid parts, which I'm sure yes. we'll touch on. Um, but the main problem it has is it's just so unnecessary. Um, mm. The story that it chooses to tell is not particularly illuminating. And Han Solo's... We know what his character arc is because it happens in the original Star Wars films. Yeah. And so yeah. there is no kind of emotional journey in this for him to go on. Like... We see him be a bit of a rogue, uh, but who's sort of out for himself. But he, he, you know, he's got a few people close to him who he trusts, and then he goes on this adventure and he ends up as a bit of a rogue who's out for himself, but he's got a few people close to him who he trusts. 
And, it, and it's like, okay, great. So your main character, who this entire film was focused on, is pretty much exactly the same uh, when he started as he would have been at the end of it. Yeah, I, I, I think... The only thing that enticed me a little bit about Solo to start with is I think it might have been an interview with Alden Ehrenreich before the film came out where he said, we're going to be a very different kind of Solo here. We're going with the kind of kid who isn't entirely jaded yet. We want to see why he's jaded. And I must admit, from a character exploration point of view, I think that's quite interesting. Like, oh, yeah, you don't... No one starts off being this cool loner kid um, from fucking childhood. You're either... You know, obviously, there are lots of different reasons why you could end up being the way you are personality-wise, but most of the time, the only time you're like that is because you're you're covering for something, you're overcompensating in some way, and so him being an uh, a most upbeat, fun kid who some shit stuff happens to, and then gets grizzled and doesn't can't trust people, that's a fair arc. That's more of an arc than he gets in most of the fucking Star Wars films. But I think with the nature of the production hell, that didn't really happen. And I think the thing is, is that so much of that we can take as read. Like, we know he come... Like, his introduction is so perfect, you know, when he first shows up in the Moss Eisley Cantina. And oh, yeah. you very quickly kind of know everything you need to know about this. Like, we can tell from the, the location that we're in, oh, this is the CD underside of this universe. And here is someone who belongs in it. Um, mm -hmm. And... We very quickly learn that he's cynical, uh, he's a little bit dumb, which people forget, but he is. Fucking stupid. <laughs> uh, and he doesn't really believe in the causes. And then over the course of the film, he starts believing in them enough to come back and risk his life to save Luke. And then over the course of the, the movies, he becomes kind of a real believer and obviously falls in love with Princess Leia. Like, he's such a perfect like example of a character that... that, that jumps off the screen and you just kind of go oh I, I understand this guy's deal the mm. like to me going back and exploring how he got that way there's very little motivation to do that because I can, can, I, can mm. I, I can just see him and go oh I, I kind of get what you're all about yeah I think what you touched upon with the the cause thing that he discovers like he discovers the rebellion and finally kind of gets something to believe in and fight against the empire and all that kind of stuff they try to do that in Solo for some reason, as if that doesn't happen in 4, 5, and 6. Like, yeah, he meets Emphis Nest and all these, like, refugees and orphans and stuff that are all banding together and starting some kind of re rebel group of group of rebels or something <laughs> whatever they are, they must be a, a good, good group of guys and gals because they're rebelling wink wink against the empire and han goes get old rebels oh, i won't remember this in three years time but uh, yeah that's fine those allied rebellions <laughs> oh, fucking hell yeah exactly and it just that that whole subplot just annoys me like having this like oh she's a space pirate oh no turns out she's a teenage rebel like oh, yeah great because we need han solo to go through a shortened ineffective version of his character arc from the other movies in 40 minutes fuck off no it's a terrible idea i do think infusness is a good idea for a character and certainly one that a film maybe in an episode of clone wars sure yeah exactly exactly yeah. Like, oh wait wait this 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 rebellious thing is a kid who's been like 
you know, disenfranchised and lost and, and sort of orphans of the war. Yeah, cool. I'm I'm okay for that. By um, the way, probably, that's the origin yeah. story of Saw Gerrera from Rogue One, which is in there Clone Wars and Rebels. He is a he is a disenfranchised teenager who turns yeah. into a terrorist. Like, and, and that is a thing. really interesting story. But the problem is, we have to focus on for some reason this again. Okay, I, I know this, this, this is going to classically be Matt, Matt bangs on about Star Trek, Star Trek versus Star Wars, but. Um, Han Solo list of matisms. <laughs> Han Solo is a bad character, and I don't mean because he's badly drawn. He's just quite flat, as Tim sort of said earlier. He is a crap husband, partner, lover, whatever you want to say. <laughs> Let's not Han besmirch Trumpest. him entirely. Um, McClunky. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> I would describe his lovemaking as McClunky. <laughs> he's a crap father who abandoned his kid and is like, oh no, he turns out he's like, I'll just leave. Um, he's a crap fucking friend to everyone, especially Chewbacca. I always feel bad. It's like, Chewie gets a rough deal being with that fucking idiot. He does. Um, he's a crap smuggler who constantly gets caught and constantly drops his shipments. He's just shit at his job. And he's a crap fucking general. Uh, General Solo. First mission goes down to the uh, to the the forest moon of Endor and gets caught by Ewoks and put over a fire in about what fifteen f- seconds. What a fucking idiot! He is, sh- but he's apparently you know oh, Han Solo. He's the coolest of the cool. Why? Why is he cool? What does he do? He wears a vest. Cool, <laughs> or a waistcoat, I should say. Well done. I think I, I think this is the thing is that. Han Solo is 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 kind of a fuck up uh, throughout <laughs> the Star Wars films, and in a way that that works perfectly because when you look at where he is in the galactic order of things, and kind of, you know, if if you take the galaxy as you know a, a society of mm. on our scale and kind of sh- shrink it down to the equivalent, he's basically just like a, a local drug dealer. Like, <laughs> or not even, not even like, like a, and, and like a real low rent one, like, yes. you know, bottom of the chain, who's got like... The, the kind of guy who keeps uh, saying, oh, shit, I'm sorry, man, I don't have anything right now, you can yeah. share this split with me. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, like, the Millennium Falcon is basically like the equivalent of a shitty Ford Escort that he drives around <laughs> with, with his mate who owns a crossbow, you know? Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> It, it it's kind yeah it's kind it's it's the kind of Ford Capri thing. It's like it looks ridiculous. It's like yeah. but it's got like a three point whatever liter engine. It's like yes. Oh, he spent he spent a lot of money tooling up this car uh, for yeah. for reasons that nobody can really understand because it looks like a piece of shit. Um, yeah, it's and, forty fucking years old. You know, and 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 I think the the, the potential that this film had, I, I you know, I would have liked to have seen it just lean into the the heist and the criminal exploring the the, the kind of the criminal underbelly mm. of. The, the Star Wars universe under the Empire a bit more. Uh, Which because... is a whole fascinating universe. I mean, if we ignore the fucking canon for a second, but the, the idea of it alone, I really like. That's the most interesting part of that universe to me. It's why I love The Mandalorian so much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it tries to do a couple of like heist sequences, but they're mm. pretty flat and they don't, they don't really feel that heisty. They just feel like an action scene where things happen to be beaten stolen mm. you know there's there's none of the kind of uh planning or adaptation uh that we normally see i think if the film had leaned into that a little bit more it it could be it could jettison some of the things that really weigh it down and slow it down mm. the frustration is the kazdans lawrence and, and jonathan the, the who uh wrote the initial 
script for Solo. We'll get to the actual what, what happened later. I don't know if they initially set out to say, right, what are the defining characteristics of Han Solo? What do we need to conclude in this film and explain? And then it becomes, well, he got his, his cool gun, right? <laughs> and his, his, he's got his cool friend, right? And he's got his <laughs> treacherous friend. Okay, and his big old ship. Yes, keep going. Where are we going with this? What is what? What defines him? What are we talking about here? And then and then you get a few other bits and pieces, and he's like, right, he's got his dice. Well, fine. Fuck um, the dice. Yeah, and the Kessel Run, and it's like, oh, the Kessel Run. Now, I don't have a problem with the Kessel Run as a concept because this is one of the things actually I don't actually mind about Solo. It's quite a riveting sequence. The thing they do with it is quite interesting. The idea it's of a bit going Lovecraft through... in a weird yeah, order. Yeah, I'm not sure, sure. Why, they, why Cthulhu has to show up and then they put him down <laughs> the galactic equivalent of a waste disposal. Yep, <laughs> flushing Cthulhu, a Star Wars story. Um, <laughs> it, it is a bit unusual. I can't talk about that because I put that in my Star Trek film. Um, <laughs> but uh, I felt I had good reason. No, it, it is a bit. I suppose it does tie in with the idea of you know, what's what's the big thing in Star Wars? Well, there's a big hole in the ground that's got tentacles. Okay, what's this? What's in this asteroid? It's just a big tentacle. It's like okay, I, I get it. Star Wars. Uh, although again, playing Fallen Order recently, uh, a lot of Star Wars seems to be there is an animal. It's quite deadly. I need to kill it. That's that's a lot of Star Wars. There's a lot of animal murder. Fallen Order is full of like this is sort of a rancor, but not a rancor. It's a big scary monster. Okay, what's the next thing? A blue big scary monster <laughs> with a horn. Mm. Also, Star Wars locations are always health and safety nightmares. Like it's a lot of like extremely high walkways with no rails. Yeah, over lava. You know, so it make it kind of makes sense that like, oh, we want you to take a shortcut. Oh, okay, no problem. But by the way, it's where Cthulhu lives, and also a yeah. black hole. <laughs> no one would fly to there. Like just in canon, like the Kessel Run is known as like a common smuggling route, yeah, and stuff like that. Like, so everyone just happens to dodge Cthulhu. Yeah. <laughs> is Han Solo the first one that like happens to bump into the Elder God of the Universe just hanging out near a black hole? And this is the problem of the idea of as much as I think it's a cool sequence and they did a lot with it and it's great, it comes down to the fact that George Lucas didn't know what a parsec was. I know we can yeah. like, oh, it's this, this. No, that's Correct. reverse engineering bullshit. And I get it. It's retroactive. It's effectively just because he thought it meant how fast something is. Essentially, like the idea of light years being speed and/or distance, because who knows? Who knows, Jack? Do you an astrophysicist? <laughs> yes. No. Moving on. Um, <laughs> so um, it, it is interesting that there's a lot of these things that people didn't really need explaining were explained. Um, and welcome to Star Wars prequels, where we explain the things that don't need explaining in meticulous fucking detail. See, if we if we talk about just for a second the nature of where people were in 2018 when this came out. Um, Force Awakens comes out, revives Star Wars after the prequels were a bit of a disaster, makes $2 billion. Fucking huge things. Yeah, 2015. Yeah, huge success. Huge success. Uh, the next year, Rogue One comes out. Rogue One's like a really risky production, because obviously I don't know what else going to be. It's not main Star Wars canon. It's a fucking enormous success at $1 billion. Um, Jack, are you still saying it's your favourite Star Wars film? Yes. Fair enough. So it's Jack's favourite Star Wars film. Um, I, I still really enjoy it. I still think it's very, very... I, again, I have problems with bits and pieces and yada yada, but I would genuinely sit down and watch it and enjoy the experience. I think it's got a lot going for it. Last Jedi comes out. 1.3 billion, despite people saying, oh, it's not very good, me. I'm not going to fucking 
you know, and We're I don't definitely mean not people, getting into that discussion. Yeah, <laughs> I don't mean people just disliking it. I mean, you know, the the, the vehement hatred for it. Um, but it still made a fuck ton of money. And then this movie is slated to come out just after that. Now it's two billion, one billion, one point three billion. We're not about you know a small pissing amount of money. That's bank. That's huge. That's that's <laughs> guaranteed. I mean, even like in a row, that's absurd. So then Solo comes out. And Solo, that's after, after the fact that, you know, The Last Jedi was like, oh, it's not what I want. It's not familiar. I want, I want the nostalgia. I want something familiar. I want what I know. Don't do something new. That kind of thing. Solo comes out and it's purely retrospective. It's purely a look back. It's purely almost nostalgia fed, except nobody actually really wants that. And nobody turned up for it because in the end it made, I want to say... 350 390 million dollars it Something barely like made its yep. money back and about that i mean it made its budget back not literally the fact that as jack is always um fond of quoting you have to make your uh your budget times two for the marketing and if you haven't got that you haven't made a profit and um you know with and toys and due to the production and, you know, hell and shit, shit yeah. this was an incredibly expensive film yeah, it went. It went from being like a hundred. I believe it was originally scheduled to be between one hundred and twenty and one hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah, which is granted a lot of fucking money, but in yeah. the grand scheme of Disney and Star Wars and all that kind of stuff, it's not crazy. No, this ended up going over the three hundred million dollar budget because of all the crazy changes and reshoots and extra things they had to add in mm. because. Because of the disagreements with Lord and Miller and Kathleen Kennedy and mm. kind of Lucasfilm versus Lord and Miller and the whole creative difference things there, that whole clusterfuck, they brought Ron Howard in and he was like, I have nothing to work with. I'm basically starting from scratch. Brilliant. And yeah, I, I, it was a I fucking I find mess. that whole thing fascinating. Um, so Lord and Miller, they are partly the villain of this piece, but at the same time, they're incredibly good filmmakers who have a very, very good run. They're involved in projects in terms of writers and producers and directors on some really successful projects people thought would never work. Um, they were given this project in advance, knowing what they were going to be doing. And I don't know who's to blame. It's like when you say, oh, I've hired this guy. And so you do know the kind of thing he does and how he makes films, right? Well, I'll be fine. And these things happen in cinema all the goddamn time. Even like good friends or people who have recommended can fall out. Um, I want to say Mark Forster, I think it was, and Brad Pitt when they're working on World War Z. Start off, he, Pitt sought out Forster, and then by the time they were doing reshoots, they weren't talking, apparently. Um, and <laughs> it's like, that's really, you know, that's how much a film can break people based on just the working ethic, working dynamic. And if you've, again, if you've worked with anyone in your life, you know how it is. Sometimes you can hate people next to you. Um, except you two. You guys are great. Yeah. You're all right. Thank you. <laughs> so Lord and Miller brought on and they were going for a very improv kind of thing, but sort of 21 Jump Street style. Um, this meant that the way they were shooting it was really prolonged. A whole day would be taken just to get the actors to feel out the role, do a lot of ad-libbing, and get something that was genuinely more comedy-driven and getting away from the script. And because of Star Wars and canon and the fact that even when it was Lucas and canon, he was still quite protective... Disney is just as, if not more, protective. So while they're saying, yeah, do what you like, it's like, but not that. Um, and so Kazdan's, the Kazdan's, I should say plural, um, had made what they believed to be a more humorous, upbeat script, despite the fact that it's Han Solo and there's, he's not really that funny. He's dumb. And his lines of like, um, yeah, great. Everything's okay here. Fine. Uh, how are you? That kind of stupid shit. It's, he's a wry character, but he, he's not... A, a fucking the world's finest wit. 
He's no Jar Jar Binks. No. And, and <laughs> even some of the funniest lines, I'm just glad I know that one. Even some of the funniest lines, things like oh, Force Awakens, like the whole, uh, that's not how the Force works. That's really funny. But that's because, as with all side characters, like a Jack Sparrow character, he's bouncing off people. He's not just him on his own with his smelly friend. So Lord and Miller were doing this film, causing huge amounts of delays in production, causing so much money to be lost, and three weeks until production is finished, it's just filming production, they're fired. That means you've got three weeks left to film, and it's a, just a, a state. And they bring Ron Howard in, and to Ron Howard's credit, he is very impressively fast, because he's such a veteran director, and he's quite a, accomplished in different um, levels of, of production. So drama and action and, and blockbuster stuff. Like Apollo 13, for example, is a huge film, that kind of thing. It's, we forget that he's done really big, helmed really, really big productions. And apparently 70% or so of what you see on screen in Solo is all the reshoots and stuff that he's brought to it, yeah. which is fucking amazingly impressive. Mm. And things he would, like, it would take Lord and Miller a couple of days to shoot, he'd do in a couple of hours. And I'm not saying faster is better because the film is fine, but to salvage that, in the same way that um, Dexter Fletcher salvaged Bohemian Rhapsody, it's, it's always impressive when someone comes in and can save what might be a lost cause. But again, at, at Disney's fiscal expense. Um, and then, of course, they learned that lesson at the same time because Trank and Trevorrow on the supposed Boba Fett film and, and what would have been Rise of Skywalker at a time being jettisoned as fast as possible. So, yeah, I don't know if Lord and Miller are necessarily the bad guys, but they don't, they don't fucking help themselves. I think it's, like you say, hiring people without really thinking about what they bring to a project because Star Wars, Disney overall, and we know this is true of, of Marvel stuff as well, they have a very specific way they want it shot. They want huge amounts of coverage. They basically want to be able to, if they need to, entirely reconstruct the film in the edit and remake entire scenes based on having lots of coverage and mm, mm. lots of stuff to fall back on. And if you're working in improv, that me that just doesn't work because you want every take to be different. You want every take yeah. to bring something new. And so that's not your concern. Um, and I think, you know, that does... it. it it's this weird uh, state we're in with Star Wars where for a long time a Star Wars film was like, you know, all there was was the trilogy and it kickstarted mm. this huge expanded universe that, you know, isn't sort of canon anymore, but but inspired generations, you know, in terms of both filmmaking and, you know, an approach to Star uh, sort of sci-fi and, and fantasy, amazingly influential. And it all came down mm. to these three films. And then you had the prequels and it watered it down a bit because everybody agrees like, oh, okay, they're not they're not as good as the originals. And then you have uh, Force Awakens comes out and everyone's like, oh, okay, it's great. It's a return to form. You know, they seem to be making decent films. And then you have a couple of spin-offs, and you have Last Jedi, which is controversial and some people don't like the approach. And then Rise of Skywalker, which is just the sound of a toilet being flushed. Um, <laughs> and with every new film, you're slightly diluting the kind of iconic sense of what Star Wars is is you know as much as there mm. is this expanded universe the core of it is these few items and the fact that we get one or for a period we were getting one every year suddenly mm. meant that star wars became a lot less essential you know which is probably one of the reasons why this did so much worse at the box office because people were a little bit exhausted of it at that point true um and the other thing is is like you do wonder when these films make so much money they cost so much money you have a a, a 
there's literally what are they called the the Lucasfilm Story Group is it is that the Story Group yeah. yeah yeah who are in charge of making sure that you know anything that's approaching the keepers canon, of the canon yes uh, yeah. has to be run past them and made sure that it's approved like how did the production end up so slapdash how do you have these films being written on the fly and it's unfortunately because the money is ruling everything and yeah. rather than thinking about okay how do we want to approach this story about this character you know what are the emotional terms of it rather than just uh, uh basically a a treasure hunt where we find all of the like items that we recognize and he ticks off a couple yeah. of things yeah. that he's mentioned from his past that is of secondary importance to getting another film out within the financial year mm-hmm. um and so you do end up with a situation because I, I like as much as Lord and Miller would have made something that probably wouldn't have felt like a Star Wars film. I'd kind of be fascinated to see what they would have made, you know, mm. um, because it would have been so different. But obviously it's not what Disney wanted. And it also would have taken them a lot longer, you know, rather than, you know, mm. uh, having a Ron Howard who can come in and do mm. stuff efficiently. It, it, it's quite simple, really. Either you want something that is going to have a very strong signature to it, i.e. you want something that is going to have a director who pushes their weight around. Now, I'm not going to say whether these are good or bad individuals directorially speaking, but they are very distinct and unique. You can recognise their features. So, for example, an Edgar Wright film has a lot of things, and people imitating that doesn't always work out. As we said in the last episode, Zack Snyder, if you try and imitate him, it does work. Michael Bay is the same thing. Yes, it's not for everybody and it's not very good most of the time, but when it works well, i.e. his earlier 90s releases, it's pretty good, pretty distinct. And you've and, got and Kubrick and the classics and things, yeah. You can tell that person is behind the camera almost instantly. You know? Yeah. Whereas if it... I could watch Solo not knowing it's a Ron Howard film and there's very little, apart from the fact that Clint Howard shows up, like that's the only thing that gives it away that this is yeah. a Ron Howard production. There are those very workmanlike directors whose whole job is to kind of be invisible and to have no mm-hmm. signature. Yeah, and I think the thing is when you're c- contributing towards something else, it can be very difficult. So, for example, you got like the the big two. Let's face it, at the minute it's still the Marvel or DC argument. You bring someone in who's got a very distinct personality or very distinct vision, it's going to be very problematic for a long period of time. Even Chris Nolan... Edgar Wright is a perfect example of that. The fact that he started off doing Ant-Man and Mm. they were like, no, go away. Give it to Peyton Reed, who, surprise, surprise, is a guy who will tick the Mm. right boxes for Disney and is a safe pair of hands. Like, can you tell me distinctive things about Peyton Reed's directing style? Mm -hmm. Because I can't. Yeah. And 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 I think that's been a problem for a lot of people with the Marvel movies is kind of like, they're now so filtered through this kind of corporate, oh, it, it's mm. Feige running the whole thing and it's Lucasfilm yeah. running the whole thing for the Star Wars, that they become this, like, everything kind of feels the same. All yes. the Marvel movies have a similar kind of tone. They're all kind of, oh, it's full of jokes and blah, 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 and the bad guy will be a dark reflection of the good guy. Oh, look, it's Black <laughs> Panther, but he's wearing yellow this time, like or whatever. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. Iron Man, but he's in a slightly different suit yeah. and all that kind of stuff. That's the same thing with diluting the Star Wars thing. Like you said, Tim, we had... For so long, like the on-screen presence of Star Wars was so small that it felt really special. And if you weren't going off and reading all the comics and reading all the novels and all the other playing all the games and all that kind of stuff, that was your pure, mm, honest <laughs> version of Star Wars. Where like, yeah, those three films are great. Everything about Star Wars that I've experienced is great. And so like, here's the prequels and all the extra shit that comes with the prequels. Mm. Oh, thanks. 
now now not all of Star Wars is good. Now 50% of Star Wars is bad. Yeah. And that makes Star Wars le- a less interesting franchise. And Marvel were kind of running the same thing. They were doing stuff like Blade. And then have, like, let's do Daredevil. You're like, oh, no, no, thank you. Let's do Elektra. Oh, no, <laughs> no, thank you. Like, let's make it like one uniform thing. And I think it's positive overall. Uh, I think we can all agree the Marvel Cinematic Universe overall is a very positive group of films and a, sure, a well received sure. group of films. But I wonder how long it can be, can be sustained. And we're getting into like weird business talk now, I know. But like, this it's is relevant to Star Wars. And that, yeah. that is what solo was a product of is like the churning mm. out all this stuff like we don't have a choice we need to release something it needs to come out solo is you have to talk about the business because solo is as you say a product of business or very few people from a creative point of view said i want to tell the solo story no no almost nobody would want if you like you've said here is an enormous spooling universe with which you can play entirely in you have the budget to do whatever you want go for it what do you want to do i want to tell a story about hot solo no, not unless you're a seven-year-old boy who's come out of the cinema and said, I like him, he shoots, bang, bang. There's there's very little people, and, and if you've got an auteur or a director or anybody, if you bring them in, they're going to, I mean, again, it's like the whole getting Ryan Johnson. What did you think would happen? He's going to try and turn yeah, on its exactly. head. That's, and I, I again, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. Um, Lord Miller, and as Tim said, I would like to have seen it. I would like to have seen a fucking Darren Aronofsky version. I'd like to see all kinds of things. But if you want a uniform thing that's going to, inverted commas, work... And the same way that the Marvel thing, you have to control it. Otherwise, just for the sort of almost like um, the self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, they've all made in excess of 600 million plus on each one of them. So we've got to control it. Don't get Guillermo del Toro in to do a Doctor Strange film. It'd be too weird. It's like, I'd like to see that. Fortunately, the people that are saying I'd like to see that are in the minority. Yeah. And I think it's, it's very uh, emblematic of this problem that the Star Wars properties that, you know, there's so many potential spin-offs that have been announced and stuff. But, you know, obviously they had Obi-Wan in the pipeline and then that got mm. cancelled because they were having so much problem writing something, apparently, that, that was worthwhile. And Is then it they back just on again? did it in Rebels anyway. Like, that's a TV show now. It's yeah. going to be a Disney Plus TV show. I was going to say, did, did I hear it's, it's back on? Uh, yeah, I think it's it shifted to TV. Um, yeah, yeah. And you Ewan McGregor came out at the announcement thing and did a whole like, oh, hello there, I'm <laughs> going to be Obi-Wan again. Now that I'm on Disney+, Plus. subscribe now. Like, I'm okay with that. Well, it's it's, but, it's the thing. But we, but we know how it, we, we've seen him on Rebels. He shows <laughs> I haven't up in seen Rebels. Rebels. I don't care. I'm okay with it. <laughs> That's the thing. Not enough people have seen those things. They try and tell the stories like, the, they're like, okay, let, let's go back to Solo. Darth Maul is in oh, Solo yes. for no fucking reason, just for the fact that, oh, cool, we get to do a Darth Maul thing. That's exciting. We can reference the, the <laughs> one character people like from the prequels. Mm-hmm. But he better light up his double-edged lightsaber, otherwise <laughs> people won't recognise one of the most distinctive-looking characters in the history of sci-fi. <laughs> like, one of the very few things that people can agree upon in the prequels being good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then he's in there, and if you haven't watched Clone Wars and Rebels, you're mm-hmm. like, the fuck? What? He was cut in half like 15 years ago. Wait, when is the timeline of that? How, when are we now compared to when he was cut in half? How long That's has he not been thing. cut in half? And then like, he's got robot legs, but they don't say he's got robot legs. You just see like a glimpse of his robot foot and you're like, okay, <laughs> mm, sure. But they then can't. And then the problem with Solo is it leaves you off with like, and Kira and Darth Maul go off on their adventures sort of. And you're like... We know again. We know what happens to Darth Maul because we see him in Rebels. Obi Wan spoilers. Obi Wan kills him in Rebels and kills him dead. Kills him, not just cuts him in half. Apparently, 
I, I feel like that was again a tease, Sp- amazing Spider-Man Two style. Yeah. I fe- I think I remember hearing they were going to try and do <clears throat> based off the success, which didn't happen in the end, of this film. Alden Ehrenreich was slated for two more films to make a solo trilogy because, good God, how yeah. how would you have done that? Yeah. And Everything's a, a trilogy, Matthew. That's the yeah, rules now. And, and a standalone Lando film. Um, I almost said solo Lando film. That would have been too confusing. <laughs> um, solo, colon, Lando. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's interesting that now a, a bunch of these announced things, you know, like, oh, you know, Ryan Johnson's getting his own trilogy and stuff like that. All of the announcements mm. there seem to be, seem to indicate that they are actually getting they're getting that that keys to the universe. Go off and tell the story you want to tell. You know, Good. hopefully, which is kind of what the Mandalorian is as well. Well, exactly. I was going to say the the most successful Star Wars thing of the past, mm. you know, two years is probably the Mandal. Certainly, the most critically acclaimed is the Mandalorian, mm. which mm. is telling stories in the Star Wars universe without relying on. You know, obviously, it's using affection for Yoda, affection for Boba Fett. But it's new characters, it's telling a new story where we don't know the end of it. You know, again, we come back to the prequel problem. That's a, that's a proper noun, by the way, the prequel problem. The prequel problem. <laughs> um, and I think that that is what they've realised now, is the strength, is that you have this whole universe and you can go off and tell interesting stories, rather than let's keep churning out these characters that people already know. Because, you know, as good as Star Wars is, it's built on fairy tale and folk story archetypes and the characters are not necessarily the strongest part of that it, it is very limited and pinched from kurosawa i, I must admit one, one of my pet peeves is something that okay our generation of of nerdy fans can really identify with i believe when the internet was new and forums were new and we were all clambering for more information we would i think we mentioned this in the in the, in the favorite uh, sorry, in the, in the movie Monsters in season episode where Jack was talking about the Cloverfield monster, Clover, and trying just to find anything he could to get information, scouring the internet for the full image of the whole the whole thing. And we want more. And we always want to know more. We want to dig deeper. And we always like to speculate, oh, I wonder what will come out of this next, especially with a shared universe mindset and the franchise idea. And we're always like, oh, what would it be like to have this film, that film? Oh, they'll get a Moon Knight movie or whatever. I know it's a TV series, but you know what I'm sort of getting at. And that's kind of the problem because you get so many of these big things announced to generate hype for a film that's two or three years away in the same way that the first advert for a christopher nolan film is almost guaranteed to be released a year prior and has one 20 second tease with three finished shots and a word and you're like i don't know what the fuck that means and this one word this new one word title film you know inception dunkirk interstellar tenet what does it mean? Don't know, Christopher Nolan film. And you have so little, but you want to know. So you want to know who's in it, what is it? And you get that hype. And it's all it's all very real, basically. What's that 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 it knows how to feed that that uh, that market, shall we say. And with Star Wars and Disney, especially with Marvel as well, they'll say, like, in three years' time, we're doing this. And you're like, oh fuck me, yes, crowd wait. Woo! It's the Hall H reaction at Comic-Con kind of thing. Mahershala and- Ali will be Blade sometime. Yeah, and I'm I'm okay with it, but then you end up with like, and Channing Tatum will be Gambit. It's like, will he? No, he's not Gambit. No, wait, he is Gambit. This is no, all of our no, dark no, it's all universe. Uh, wait, no, it's... it's back on again. But the director's left, and the writer's <laughs> left. No, wait, wait, no, 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 director's back. No, different director, same director. I'm sorry. Are we left. talking about Gambit or oh, the fuck. Flash or what are we? It's, it's so exactly. many films that do that. Exactly. And the thing is, this is always how Hollywood has been. 
This is always how films have been made. The difference is we're now part of the conversation. So we're now That's seeing it. these yeah. things. Part of social media and the interest in big franchises and stuff. Suddenly we're all, quote unquote, on the inside. And we mm. see how the how the cake is baked and all that kind of stuff. Like, mm, all good. Now mm. I know. We've been talking Disney business stuff for like 20 minutes <laughs> on a fucking podcast. And, and the, the, about the fan reaction itself becomes part of the marketing. Correct. Like, it's, Entirely it's, correct. it's this feedback loop. You know, there's buzz around it. So now we get a load of uh, articles saying how people are freaking out over, you know, the new Christopher Nolan trailer. And so mm-hmm. and, and that becomes like the fan reaction becomes the story more than just like, like you say, oh, here's a trailer that's got like three scenes in it. What wasn't it that the, the trailer for Endgame was a load of trailer for very famous YouTube react videos to the original Avengers trailer or something like that i think i could be wrong i'm pretty sure it was that but and either or marvel or dc a big release of that nature and it was like oh giving it back to the fans no it's not it's it's tossing them a bit of a bone (laughs) as it were but i i do feel that the nature of we're gonna do a boba fett film with josh trank when he's done with um his fantastic four film and i'm like oh which can only go well (laughs) only and then people suddenly went oh no this is terrible and then there was a whole reshuffle rethink saying let's not do a boba fett film that's not going to work and also, let's face it, The Mandalorian, and I don't care. The Ma- Sorry, Mandalorian, I want to clarify, I really like it. I really enjoy it. It's nostalgia suckage, but it still works well. It gives you everything you think you want, but I'm, an, I'm happy with that. That's fine. But at the same time, while Boba Fett is like, oh, he's a clone. Cool. If you cut out all the prequel shit, ignore that for a second. Ignore the fact that he's got a dad who got his head cut off, and then... <laughs> And then he, he just picks up his head like no big deal, and it doesn't fall yeah, out of the helmet. Doesn't doesn't, doesn't fall out of the helmet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like melon out of a bag. Yeah, <laughs> he just has to put it on, but he can't because his dad's covered in brain goo. Yeah, so the idea is that we don't know anything about Boba Fett really, even even with the prequel stuff. So this might as well be a Boba Fett thing. The Mandalorian might as well be Boba Fett. It does it doesn't actually matter um, who it is because people just like the outfit. The thing we know about Boba Fett is he's actually pretty shit. He dies like yeah, a fool. He he's like five he lines. Like yeah. He's, he's like, oh, I, I won't do an impression because there's two or three different voices. Um, and <laughs> yeah. He's no and, good to me, did. That's <laughs> the one you need. Put him in the, put him in the cargo hold. Um, and yeah, then he just, oh, he's such a chump. But the point is that people like the visual and they made it work. That's fine. And Solo is the same example. People liked it as an idea, but they couldn't make it work. And we should point out, there are two other things I want to just quickly reference about Solo. That, sort of, One's a big story thing, and one's a behind-the-scenes thing. The behind-the-scenes thing is one thing I really loved. When the, the film was being marketed, they did a frankly fantastic poster campaign. The initial posters were so original and interesting and unique. And I thought, this colour palette is astonishing. It's so not Star Wars, but it is. It feels like a Western, like with wanted posters. This is fucking brilliant. And then it came out, they were all completely fucking nicked. (laughs) And I was like, wait, what, sorry? In the same way that most companies just Google ideas and just nick the deviant art. Um, I want to say, I don't know the name of him, but it's a French artist, I believe, who was working on some sort of uh, a collection of like a Motown or a soul album or something like that, a different uh, um, anthology, as it were, did these really cool images and they nicked it everything, literally everything. Like, I mean, obviously they changed the face and the... And, it and was the, colour palette. It yeah, was like the, placement the font. of text and design and stuff. It was ridiculous. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's absurd. And it's like, 
it's embarrassing enough when a, a small company does it and makes a mistake. It when or alternatively when um, uh, Old Town Road comes out and people say, "Oh shit, did you did you nick this from Nine Inch Nails?" It's like, uh, we sampled Shut it. Shut up. No, you straight up. Nick- oh, we have to give him credit. Oh fuck, 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 fuck. Uh, thankfully, Tremendous cool. Um, that and happens in music all the time. Of course, though. like I, I've I've watched plenty of videos on YouTube of like things you didn't know have been sampled from songs from the seventies, <laughs> and you're like, mm. well, obviously, like no hip hop track basically ever has an entirely original drum track and all that stuff. No, it's assembly, the samples yeah. that are built into like I don't know if you're using Logic or you're using Audition or whatever mm. you're using to build up your samples, the little sample base they have in there is sampled from other tracks and all this kind of bullshit. Or you get like acts like Daft Punk, where they just build an entirely new song out of tiny little pitch-shifted snippets of other songs. Mm. They're like, yep, there you go, it's a new song now. Like, yeah, You didn't write any of this. You've just shifted the chorus and the verse and then pitch-shifted one of them <laughs> up. That's cheating. But I want to dance. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you. Damn you, Daft Punk! Your your French disco funky bollocks. <laughs> it is um, stupid droids. Sorry, when you said French disco disco funky bollocks, all I could picture was uh, Mr. Susan from the Mighty Boosh with his mirror balls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the other point I was going to make within story stuff is actually something that Tim um, uh, brought to my attention, which I just sort of hadn't. I mean, I realised in the film, and I've made a note of it in my review, I believe. But when he sort of talked about the 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 expense of of what that actually means for the universe. I was like, oh, sh- that's a valid point, Tim. That's that's really fucked up. So I'm going to bounce to him, um, and that's about the idea of robot slavery. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we've we've kind of talked a lot about production and a lot about solo in kind of grand terms of what it's trying to mm. achieve. And and obviously, with something that was so put together at the last minute, there's going to be problems with it. And the character of L3, or Leet, depending, that fucking terrible joke. Um, Fuck's one sake. of many terrible jokes uh, in this film. <laughs> she doesn't make any sense. Her motivation seems that, that it's really hard, moment to moment, to try and gather whether she is earnest in her desire for freedom uh which seems most of the time but then occasionally yeah. there'll be lines where she takes the piss out of other robots like she frees uh when they're at the mines she like frees a robot yeah. and she's like okay off you toddle you're free now and it and it's really dismissive and it's like wait a minute your whole thing has been you want to free robots why are you treating this robot like it's like a dumb toddler that's your single defining characteristic yes that's how this film works yeah and then you're just like meh if I was being very diminutive, um, I would say anybody who has ever craved freedom, and this is a, I'm, I'm really skirting on stuff here, so I'm going to word myself very, very, very carefully. Any people as a group who have desired freedom have such a compulsion for it that they usually have a plan in any form. It's like, what are you going to do? I'm going to free these people. I'm going to free my people. Okay, fine. Then what? And that's almost always that any revolutionary nature of, of any any freedom movement, there is usually an architect in there somewhere. There's obviously people who are like so frustrated and stressed and outraged and don't know what to do with themselves and things. That's fine. There's plenty of those people. But there's usually someone who is actively doing something and has a plan next. And this film has two counts, it seems, of individuals who don't seem to have a plan. They're just going to go, ah, 
freedom means walking around. Um, and it's like the idea of like I'm gonna I'm gonna you know cause a, a revolution for these machines. How's that? Don't know. Just say freedom and push buttons. Like great, okay. And then you got Chewbacca doing the same thing of like Wookie freedom. We get it there. I mean, he seems to have a bit of a plan, but he's more concerned with going with Han Solo than helping out. And it's 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 a very and then you get to the other freedom fighter, Infus Ness, who actually does have a plan. She just another the capital but to back it. And it's like, I sort of get where you're going there, but it's it's so it's so bizarrely well, the, discordant. The film treats the film goes out of its way to emphasize how bad slavery is. Like, okay, the Wookiees are slaves, so Chewbacca frees the Wookiees. Good, that's slavery is bad. You know, yes. the the miners are slaves, so they they free the miners. That's good. Okay, Emphis Nest, her people were made slaves. Got to free the slaves. That's that's you know good thing. You know, mm-hmm. even even starting with like Han Solo, like he is essentially a slave at the beginning to a crime lord. You know, him effectively and, yeah. and Kira, like a they, giant space worm. A, gi- yeah, a big reasons. photosensitive space worm that lives. Uh, it- that that yes. is hurt by sunlight and so lives somewhere where they've just kind of painted the the, the windows black <laughs> rather than you know somewhere that doesn't have windows. Um, yeah. Anyway, slavery <laughs> is bad would seem to be the uh, an underlying thesis of this film, one that I would hope that we can all agree with. And then it's it twenty twenty. You have to check. Yeah. <laughs> and then it has L three, whose slavery is a joke. You know, mm. because we get that. And and this film. If there are sentient robots out there that want to be free, and 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 if if there is that potential for that desire in all of these sentient droids, congratulations, Solo! You just broke the Star Wars universe because all of the characters are now <laughs> slave owners. Exactly, and I think you get a bit of a hint of that when, uh, in you know, when when Lars is buying Owen Lars, sorry, is buying the droids at, at Star Wars. Sweet of, old Uncle hope. Lars. Um, I will say, point. I, I, if I was to make a reductive statement as well, I feel the idea is. The way that L3 is presented, it feels like it's written the same way that a white guy would write a feminist. Um, and it's like, what's what's your plan here? I'm going to see every time I see something that I feel is outrageous, I'm going to call it outrageous. Yeah, okay. And then what? And then I'm going to say, you shouldn't have to do that. You can do whatever you like. Okay, then what? Uh, get drunk and or die. And it's like great. That's that's what, and that's how unfortunately a a, a a a white male writer tends to write a very feminist character. She's an annoying, brash, weird, strangely hypersexual person. And like, oh, here we are, L three. Yeah, it's it is essentially it's like a Family Guy stereotype Ooh. of a kind of straw feminist or a, an SJW yeah. <laughs> kind of joke. And mm, yep. like, you can't just throw that in there into the Star Wars universe because it's not the kind of universe where you've got lots of archetypes that are based on contemporary stuff. Like, all of the archetypes mm. are wizard, warrior, scoundrel. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, and then this like, yeah, this like real SJ, like one of these real Twitter activists. It's like, no, that's not a mythic archetype that you can tap into. That's just a complaint that you have because like, You've lost some it's Twitter challenging followers. your worldview. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I just, I just find it a, a, such a mixed bag. And this is the kind of thing we're, we're focusing on, sort of uh, n- very specific minutia here. But it's just the idea that it is a mixed bag film that's all over the place, and it doesn't really know seem what, what it wants to do. I think there are a few points that work surprisingly well. 
I think there's quite a lot visually that's quite nice. The cinematography is astounding. I should point that right now. I really, really like that. It's very distinct and unique from other Star Wars ones. The production design is really nice. Um, I think there's a lot going for it. But I think the weakest element is the narrative. There's just the story, the way they're, they're trying to get these characters to sort of desperately force them together. Um, I think the Kira character could be very, very, very interesting. But the fact that she... And I, I, this is the thing I, I, I want to just sort of press on, particularly considering we're talking about um, female characters written by men. Kira gives a bit of a hint that she got out of Corellia and is in the in the debt, as it were, of, of wherever it's the Crimson... Dryden Voss. Yeah, Dryden Crimson Voss Dawn and the Crimson the Dawn. Yeah. Is it Crimson Dawn? It is Crimson Dawn. Yeah, it's Crimson I feel Dawn. Like that's one of the names of the, of the people that uh, Hans Gruber mentions in, in Die Hard. That's Asian Dawn. Wrong. Not, it's Star Wars. Asian Dawn. I mean, it's Star Wars. It's quite racist anyway, so maybe... Anyway, point is Crimson Dawn. The idea that, that she's escaped and Hans like, hey, why aren't you happy to see me? I'm all like giddy and shit. It's like, because we were separated on a planet where we were poor and bad shit was happening and I'm a woman, you dumb fuck. If you take any situation, uh, again, a very sort of strange, controversial one. If you set this story in 1970s in Vietnam and a young man got out, like a young Vietnamese dude got out when the civil war was happening, came back 20 years later or five, 10 years later and the Vietnam War was over and she's like been not necessarily sold into, but had to go into prostitution. She had to live with the Americanization of Vietnam and, and, and back and forth and things like that. They've had that real tug of war with communism and everything else. And this guy comes back from his fucking effectively gap year and it's like, I've had a really hard time. It's like, yeah, I don't think you know what a hard time is, you bastard. So of course she's gonna be different, but I don't know if Amelia Clark really has been given the room to do much with that. It could be such an interesting character. If he, if Han went back to Corellia and she was running that joint, she'd killed that fucking worm herself and she was running this sort of, uh, this gang, that would be a, and she was dark twisted. As we sort of get a hint towards the end of the, you know, the film, that we you know, and Solo itself, that would be much more interesting. Um, I mean, for example, Solo does say, well, you know, why Han is the way he is, why he's jaded and doesn't trust people? Well, let me tell you, there's two reasons. One, this broad. Stood him up. It's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. nope. Don't think that's how that worked at all. He buggered off. He came back, found out she was different, and then buggered off again. Don't think that's how it worked. He buggered up and never came back. I hasten he, to add. Oh, my apologies. He didn't come back. He, he never goes back to find her. <laughs> yes, that's true. He just happens to bump into her. And number two, he meets a guy who is basically like a proto version of himself, uh, or, or more accurately, the Han Solo we're familiar with in, in Beckett, uh, but isn't because he's a complete wall of contradictions. Yeah, I think I think Kira's journey just does not make sense, and I think I think if if like you say, if they'd have kept her on Corellia and and set more of the film there, it would make so much more sense. But to have her check, go from mm. like the, the the flashback that the, where the film starts, the initial yes. her and Probably, yeah. and Han on the run, having stolen whatever, they just look like two kind of punk <laughs> kids who are trying to do their best in this street gang. And there's very little about them that says that they're particularly extraordinary. Like Han, mm. Han's always saying he's the best pilot the world's ever seen, but like, I'm not. <laughs> that sounds more like bravado than actual. No, legit. Bra I am braggadocious. Um, yeah, I've got a big penis, but, but not really. But there's very little to suggest that she has anything kind of extraordinary about her. In the, in she's the, with him. She's his yeah, gal. Uh, uh, in those few moments that we see, she just seems like someone who's tagging along with him. And then yep. in the in the 
what seems like it's about, I think it's meant to be about three years, then we jump forward to him mm. where he's in the military. And, you know, his part is... For a very brief period uh, for of a time. tiny bit. Uh, mm. Yeah, we see him in, in the army. And, you know, that, that completely makes sense. He, he had to join the Imperial Navy or whatever to, to get sure. out of the situation he was in. Then we see him and he's in the Navy. Like, and, and, and he's having a shit time of it. And he's, you know, mm. still a bit of a scoundrel kind of thing. Fine. Sure. That makes complete sense for the character. For her, in the same period of time, to have escaped Corellia, somehow got involved with this Crimson Dawn gang, risen to the rank of lieutenant. Uh, yeah, now yeah. she's wearing, like, she's become this kind of expert manipulator. She's mastered the ancient art of Terraskazi. Um <laughs> I love that reference to Terraskazi. I love it so much. Um, and she she's basically entirely remade herself. And so either three years is too short to do that in, or she has a much more interesting story that this film does not convey at all. Agreed. Entirely agreed. I think um, it, it's actually, she's double and crossing people as well to, you know, and, and is on like fucking first name terms essentially with Darth Maul. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's not something one does quickly. I mean, if you take like if you if you if you remove the fantasy element, if you remove the science fiction Star Wars nonsense and make this just a story about criminals, like mm. drug runners, basically, um, you know, some teenage kid in some um, crappy part of South London or something, and you know they end up, it, it's entirely possible. And these things, depressingly, these stories do happen, and they're very riveting and they're fucking fascinating. But we're not focusing on that. In the same way that Star Wars... Okay, it's a strange example here. Spaceballs, the Mel Brooks film, where the character Lone Star is the lead character played by Bill Pullman. And he is an amalgam of Luke and Han. Because Luke is whiny and annoying, and Han is nothing. So you have to have <laughs> both. You have to have the cool, swaggering guy who's also the chosen one. Otherwise, he's just this guy going, Well, you know what I say? Stupid. It's like, thanks. Do you want to actually help out? No. I don't want it. It's like, okay, thank you, cowboy in space. Um, and then it's just a case of like, okay, we've got, we've got a great plan. We're going to try and storm in. Even him in the, the idea of him in, in the military, I was like, okay, you know, we're going to try and um, train you guys up so you can be good soldiers. Well, well, I'm a great pilot. Okay, good. Can you fly? Yeah, I've never had the chance, but I know I am. Yeah. Oh, your white energy is annoying, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's just really painfully frustrating that Han tells you he's good, and never shows you that he's good. He never proves it. Yeah. People are say, "Hey, kid, I'm gonna take a chance on you. I see good. I see greatness in you. Cool. Everyone's saying they see greatness in him. And he's like, you know what? I'm the best pilot you've got. And I'm, you know what? Chewie's gonna be able to fucking live with me forever. Why is that? Because he went for like five seconds. And you're like, okay, so he speaks a bit of my language. Therefore, he's a man of the world. It's like, no, he's not. Yeah. He's fucking awful. And but again, you don't see the examples. It's the show don't tell stuff. It's uh, it's as much as a strange analogy of all the films I can think of. For the first one that went in my head is April O'Neil, um, played by Megan Fox in the term, uh, the Turtles movie, where she's like, "I'm a great reporter. I'm a good reporter. I want to be a good reporter." And so it's like, you haven't really reported on anything. <laughs> and I know it's like the frustration that you haven't given the opportunity to report on anything, but or, or Amy Adams in Man of Steel was like, "I'm a Pulitzer winner. God damn oh, it!" But I don't know anything that's happening in this film. At all. And I don't recognise you, Clark, I mean, Cal, I mean, whoever you are. <laughs> For fuck's sake. It, it's irritating. I'll tell you what I would like. Not to, to, to A, do this before Jack can do his his pitch. 
and uh, not to subvert in any way, shape or form. But I would genuinely, because we don't know about the time period, about three years after being on Corellia and stuff. I don't get it. I don't get when this film is supposed to be set. I mean, it's not a Rogue One. It doesn't end right up, you know, where um, Star Wars starts. But I must admit, I would genuinely like to see the more of the teenage Han on Corelli. That would be the story I want. It's like a, just a, a disenfranchised kid. I don't mm. know how young I'd want him to go, but Spider-Man territory. It hints at the fact that it's a Rogue One. It's like, well, he's going to go and get the Millennium Falcon and fly off off on his adventures that we know and love, right, guys? Like, well, n- well, no. There's a bunch of other shit that needs to happen between now and then that you're just ignoring, so... Well, see, this is the interesting huh. thing. This is the nature of the fans. This is where Jack will come in, because I am aware of the extended universe canon before and after Disney decided to, A, can all the other stuff that was today, and then B, have all this new stuff created and then can it anyway. Um, thank you, Rise of Skywalker. Um, yeah. Where, whereby it's like, I, I get it. It, it. it is the sense that until it's in a film, it's not official. Uh, that, by the way, does definitely doubles for Rise of Skywalker. Oh, he's actually, you know, he's he's not a clone. He's his grandfather. Fuck, fuck that. Fuck you. If it's not in the film and I have to watch like a 15... T- that, that's Alien Covenant Prometheus shit. Yeah. Fuck you. Fuck off. Um, I find it interesting and it's good discussion, but it is not the film. Um, so in essence, the story has failed to a degree. So with regards to Solo and his story, I know a lot of people say, well, obviously... Han Solo has a history of being in the Imperial Navy. He was a pilot. And it's like, first of all, what are you talking about? Because if I watch the Star Wars films, at no point is any of that mentioned. That's a well-known fact, Matt, didn't you know? (laughs) Apparently. But the thing is, I like that fact. I think it's fascinating that the guy, this this kid, joins basically the bad guy, which we, I should point out, we see these people as the bad guy, but as we know in living in 2020, it's just the ones who happen to be in charge. So... The I mean, Empire. they are space Nazis. Yeah, they're space Nazis, but we've got enough Nazis here at the minute, unfortunately. It's the idea that the villain is always like... I and mean, they're called stormtroopers, you know. It's, it, it takes a lot of very distinct visual imagery and all sorts, and I, I, I do agree. But joining the Empire is, I guess, the equivalent of making a movie about what's happening right now with, you know, just the general riotous horror that is 2020 and have somebody saying, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of this town. I'm going to leave it. What are you going to do? I'm gonna join the fucking National Guard. You're gonna, you're gonna do what? I'm gonna. Are you, you what do you think? It, why? You're gonna change it from the inside? Nope. Just gonna do a job. What? Why? And that's such a hard. And I, I would love to have seen the. Ju- I mean, obviously, yeah. What's the justification in this one? Well, I need to get off the planet so I can come back to the planet and save what's a face. Right. I don't. I don't understand that, but okay. Fact that you called her what's the face says it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like I don't. I don't oh, really get no, that. I'm looking to save. Uh, you know the the one. Oh, there. What was her name? That one. The one with the hair. Yeah. You, you mean the door you could just go back through? Yeah, but it's a long way away now. I'd rather just go through years of military training and then think about turning around eventually. Not because of this film, but at some point, mate, I was going to get around to it. Um, and when I do, she'll definitely still be there because yeah, because she'll be there waiting for me. She certainly won't have like. There's no way she could have died or made her own way off planet or a million other sold things into that sexual could slavery or anything in this, no, in no, this no, no, no. fascist regime where people disappear every day. Yep, she'll just be sitting there waiting for me. That's my gal, um, and I, I I do think that's fascinating. These are the oppressors, and you are joining them. That's something this film just sort of. I mean, I know there's deleted scenes which goes into it a bit more, but it 
it, it glaze over it so quickly. And it's like, it's oh, the real bad guys, actually, the criminal underworld. It's like, the criminal underworld exists because of these people. What are you talking about? Um, just to, go to we we mentioned Beckett earlier and um, mm. talking about show showing versus telling. He is a case where show is in direct contradiction to tell, or other tell mm. tell versus show, because he's constantly telling us, "I don't trust anyone." This is, if there's one thing about me that you should know, and there's only one thing <laughs> about me you should know because I'm sketched quite poorly as a character, is that <laughs> I don't trust anyone already. Uh, who are these people with you? Oh, this is my crew. I trust them. In fact, they're going to... Welcome s- to the crew, new people. They're going to sacrifice themselves to save me, you know, in a bit. They're thus proving that they were entirely worthy of my trust. Uh, <laughs> hey, kid, I've got a good feeling about you. Why didn't you come with me? I thought you said you didn't trust anyone. Yeah, but I've got a good feeling about you. I trust you. Yeah. And, uh, and a- you come with a Wookiee. Yeah, what so about this man-eating monster that I've just escaped? <laughs> he can come too. I trust him. He's he's definitely man flesh. I know that yeah. much. Um, <laughs> That's what we learned from Beckett. He was right. Don't trust anyone, kid. He did tell us that, right? Yeah. And then he meant, he meant Han him. first. Oh, oh, Han shot clever. Beckett. He's like, oh, you look. I fucking hate that shit. Again, I I don't like the whole dice. Not I don't like anything that's nodding and saying. If you have something that's subtle in a prequel and saying, oh shit, all along this has been building to the thing that I. Didn't re- oh, that's quite interesting. Darth Fair Vader built C-3PO, of course. Oh, <laughs> I see that one coming. That one would fuck, fuck that one. Um, but if you're just going to literally turn to the audience and do a really slow, heavy-handed way, <laughs> then you can get in the bin. It's like, kid, I need to give you a gun. Let me quickly... And I must admit, the gun pass-off, the, the, the iconic Han blaster from Beckett, I rather like that. I like that it's not just a case of whatever. He literally starts outfitting his gun and recustomizing it and, you know, take off certain bits. Shunk chucks it to him. Great. Because it, while it's happening, you don't realize it's going to become one of those, what I can only describe as the leitmotif moment. It doesn't lean to the audience and then go, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and it's really sort of like, what are you doing? In the way that the fucking... Like a lounge version? Well, because that's what the, the, the trailer did the same thing, where it was like, just like doing a solo trailer and then this awful sting. And it's like, oh, that doesn't belong here. Um, and so, for example, one of, the, one of the pretty terrible ones for me was the moment where Han shoots Beckett first. It's like, hey, 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 Han shoots first. It's like, why are we still having clunky, this am I right, conversation? <laughs> It made sense in Star Wars because he was dangerous and he was like, I'm going to deal with this problem like the same way that Indiana Jones dealt with the guy who was the sword. Bang. Fuck. Move on. Um, because it's like, he's a rogue. He's a rebel. He's a dangerous guy. As opposed to, okay, well, he this is actually a movie for kids. He has to be kind of good. Yeah, I think I, I have issues with the gun thing because Ooh. there's nothing about Han Solo's character that suggests that he cares about the gun that he's using. Like, mm. he cares about the Millennium Falcon, he cares about Chewie. I can even kind of buy that it's done so bloody poorly, and, like, it's one of those things that I'm... If it if it appears in the original trilogy, I would, would not be able to tell you. Um, <laughs> the dice. I can kind of get that as a... If he's, mm. if he's meant to be, like, a car thief, I quite like the idea of, like, yeah, and whenever I get into the car, I hook these little dice thing on them. You know, and then I take them with me to you know. That's superstitious. Where, is, is yeah, fine. Wherever, yeah, wherever yeah. I put my dice, that's my right. You know, fine. 
you know, done Ew. very unsubtly, but whatever. <laughs> but like, his, his, and that's his why dice are them to layer. Yeah. His dice are as bollocks. <laughs> yeah. But it's but it like nothing about Han says like, oh yeah, this is my pistol and it's really special to me. To yes, me, Han yes. is a character who will grab anything and use that as a weapon. You know, that is yeah. the, that is the person who shoots the console and goes, oh, we're fine down here. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think it's this idea of the problem tends to be the character based on the mythology that people watching the character have invented as opposed to the... And that's why I, I kind of love and hate that at the start of The Force Awakens, Han... Well, start, the middle of The Force Awakens, Han Solo turns up and he's basically still dressed exactly the same yeah. effect. Even like Leia calls him out on it and it's like, yeah, the fuck is wrong with you? It's why La- Lando just has a closet full of capes in this. Oh. Because, because it's not the... Lando's like this fashionable guy, and and he has extravagant outfits. No, it's it's he wears capes because mm. he wore a cape in he wore a cape in Empire Strikes Back, so he's got to wear capes all the time. Only capes, which is <laughs> so stupid. He wears zero capes in fucking Return of the Jedi. Yeah, he wears. Uh, oh, 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 sure. Oh, oh, having but we're, while we're on that for a second, he part of his disguise for uh, when he's on uh, as part of you know infiltrating mm. Jabba's palace is is just another one of his many many. Uh, things from his wardrobe of his fucking disguise yeah. Uh, yeah. parlor, as it were. Um, as you say, a sea of capes. So many capes. Yeah. It, because it's, it's reductive. It just takes the the basic elements of the character. If it was saying, like, well, what do you know about this character? Uh, based on what? Based on this photo I've just shown you. Oh. Uh, <laughs> likes capes. Yeah. Write it down. Write it down. Yeah. And it's it's the it's the assumption that like you know if you if you filmed any random person. You know, on you know, even on a on an on an especially eventful day, you know, or, or weekend or whatever, like not yeah. every object that they touch and interact with or carry around with them is going to have this immense sentimental or <laughs> iconic value. Like sometimes a phone is just a phone, like it's that's not your exact, signature phone. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to bring up was phones. We all, when we have our phone in that moment, it's our best and our favorite phone. It's the it's our it's our lifeline to the world, etc. And then you look back and think, oh fuck me, why was I using that clunky piece of shit? And you may have nostalgia for one, like oh I had that, you know, that old Matrix phone or a Nokia thirty three ten, some old the first iPhone or something like that. And you're like, oh cool. But nobody's saying this phone. I'm going to keep this fucker going until I don't know twenty fifty nine. It's like it won't work. It'll be backward. It'd be shit. And I know a gun is slightly different. A Millennium Falcon, I'm not going to say Millennium Falcon because that's I don't understand why he's so obsessed with it. I don't understand what it is about that ship that makes him so... it's the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy, Matthew. <laughs> as shown by Cthulhu. I don't know if it is ever that fast. I mean, what does it ever outrun? It outru- Cthulhu! It outruns just, a black just, hole just, and Cthulhu. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's fair enough. I'll give you that. And it's got an escape pod on the front. Because when you escape, you're escaping toward the thing that's probably coming at you. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it, but now you said it, yeah. So, escape pods are almost notoriously on the side or the back. And I, I know it's like, you know, it's fictional universe nonsense. We'll, we'll probably discuss, uh, in fact, no, we'll definitely discuss, discuss ships later. Uh, Patreon people, you know what to look out for. Um, but uh, that's just one of those design things you're like, we need to ha- I don't. Who said the Millennium Falcon had to look different? I don't. I know you could like just cleaner would have been fine. Just a paint job. 
Not necessarily that it's got this whole huge appendage that he never bothered to replace. It's like, what's what's this bit here? Oh, yeah, um, my car used to have a big lid that would close so I could use this bonnet, uh, sorry, <laughs> this this boot properly and put My iconic suitcases. car that I'm basically in love with. Yes, I could put like suitcases in there, but uh, it broke off and now it's just a hole in the back of the car. Great. Before we get to fixing Solo, a Star Wars story, it's time for a word from our sponsor, at Stitcher Premium. Did you know on Stitcher Premium you can listen to some of your favourite shows ad-free and lovely premium and bonus content that's exclusive to Stitcher. And it's also a podcast-dedicated app which has a lovely little interface and you get things like comedy albums and original shows and all kinds of extra stuff included in your subscription. So not only do you not get any ads, you get all this bonus stuff as well and it's really, really cool. You can get Stitcher Premium for only $4.99 a month, or if you want to get the annual subscription, it's $34.99, which is a bargain, let's be honest. And if you want to get even more of a bargain, you can go to stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code sequelizers, not prequelizers, sequelizers, <laughs> and you get an extra free month as well. So you get to enjoy a free month on us. We get a little bit of a, a rep from Stitcher Premium. And you get some fantastic podcast listening app goodness and bonus stuff and no ads. It's lovely. It's win-win-win for everybody. It's delightful. Enjoy Stitcher Premium on us. So, we're almost ready for Jack's fix, but mm. before that, it's time for our fix of Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, mm. uh, uh, get your fix here, lads. Do you think that someone was uh, creating the Rotten Tomatoes website and said, um, what, uh, what, what do you do? Or review films? Uh, rotten tomatoes. <laughs> write it down. <laughs> Fucking solo. Han, let me think about it for a second. Solo. And then for like 10 other people who joined that day, solo, solo, solo. Yeah. It does it for everybody. <laughs> yeah. No mates, alone, by himself. Larry. Well, I've got a first name, it's Han. I do love that the alternative is like, you know, an actual... Um, going through actual customs, and this this does unfortunately happen where they say, um, "Can you put your surname, in, please, sir?" Yeah, it's L I. It's Lee. Okay, it needs to have three characters. Um, sorry, my surname doesn't. I just told you what it was. It's two characters. Tough. Because <laughs> I've got a I've got a friend who had that problem. She was like, "That's my fucking. What do you what do you want from me? That's my surname." It's like, "Well, we, we've got a space here that's just three characters long." It's like, "That's not how my name works." Yeah. And it's just. Yeah, underscore. Well, I mean, what do you want from me? Go back to your Ellis Island, and it's like, mm, can't, can't. I don't know how to write that down. You're George now. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, let's just knock a couple of vowels off it. Sounds more uh, American. Take out all the Z's and K's. You'll be fine. Problem solved. It's like, wow. Thank you, racism. Yep. Um, so that's basically the equivalent of uh, solo. Uh, solo. Anyway. Um. Solo. So, uh, obviously, no. the Star Wars saga is a many twisted chronological uh, knot. It is, but we're going to treat we're going to treat Solo as a prequel to A New Hope. It's, it's what it is. It's, it's, it seems yeah. the most most direct one. Um, or Rogue One. <laughs> and uh, the other thing we mentioned that Solo is the poorest performing of all the uh, live action Star Wars yes, films. Very much so. Um, yes. Even even compared to going back to the seventies, um, with only three hundred ninety three million. Only three hundred ninety three million. <laughs> Which is a success story by most people's books, except when you realise you've sunk in almost about the same amount of money into the film and you're waiting for a billion to come back. Yeah. Uh, however, it is not the worst performing theatrical release of a Star Wars film. 
which is the <laughs> terrible Clone Wars film from about 2008 or wherever five, it is. Five? Two? Five, yeah, something. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere around there. Oh, yeah, five or six. Uh, yeah. That features yeah. uh, Jabba the Hutt's infant son and his uh, weird sort of gay stereotype uncle. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> Um, stinky, that's what they call the stinky. little Jabba son. Stinky, stinky. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so stupid. So yeah. So we'll start with a New Hope. Rotten Tomato scores. What do you think, gents? It's got to be high, right? It's one of the absolute all-time classic films. It was a huge success when it came out. It's continued to be lauded as an incredible success. It's got to be ninety something. Ninety three. Oh, I'll go for 93. I was convinced we were going to say the number I'm thinking of. I hate when we do that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think the way that Rotten Tomatoes works, which again, we've acknowledged many, many times, is the amount, the percentage of good films above three out of five or whatever, um, based on view, views and reviews contemporary to the time and also retrospective, so it can shift and change. I think there's enough people who would piss on it enough to make it not a 100. I don't think there's that many of them, though, because it's an influential film. James Cameron apparently watched it, went out and said, I'm a real filmmaker, and became James Cameron. So, you know, I think it's, 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 it's reach is intense. As we were discussing, obviously, on our alternate universe pitches. Um, so, long way of me sort of killing time while I think, and I'm going to say 96. Okay. Clone Wars. That film is fucking terrible. It is. First of all, and I love the Clone Wars. It's going to be bad. It's going to be low, because it's universally hated, even as much as the prequels, probably. Yeah. Um, I will go for twenty-one percent, please. Matthew, it is terrible. I'm I'm very torn because I love it so much. No, no. Um, I'm torn <laughs> because at the end of the day, it's hated more than the prequels because it's fucking terrible. But it isn't nearly as known as the prequels. It's not as it, it's it's reach and and its uh, impact wasn't that the, most people don't even realize it exists. Mm. Um, so I don't but know. Those who do hate it. So <laughs> very true. I think it's gonna be twenties or tens. I, th- I I I think Jack might have nailed it again. But I'm gonna go with what I think it should be, which is twelve. Twelve. Fucking hell. And finally, our feature presentation: Solo, a Star Wars story. Ooh, I think this mm. is the most tricky one. Yeah, I think it's the hardest of the. I it think is. clearly, A New Hope is very high. Clearly, Clone Wars is very low. Yes. Solo could be fucking anything because it's a very mixed bag. <sighs> I will say 69, dude. <laughs> Let's go for um, that. High, but not too high, if you know what I mean. Um, I don't do drugs. Um, <laughs> 69 I, I rather think, than 420. <laughs> I, it's, it, I think Jack is, again, quite close. I think it's it. I think it's going to be 70s. I think... The public were like, eh, didn't really turn up for it, but it was all right. Most people who ended up seeing it on video, video, on streaming or whatever release they were going to see it on. Video. Video. <laughs> on Betamax. Um, they all said, actually, it was quite fun. I had fun with that. Most people walked away from having watched the movie with a relative, ah, yeah, which was a success. People thought it would be an absolute disaster. There's even a recent hashtag of make Solo 2 happen. So nah, we, we don't need that. We, That's we a thing. That's a whole that. Snyder Cut bullshit. We're good. Fuck it, I'm going to do something I don't usually do, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I, I don't know how high it's going to be, but I think it's higher than 69. So I'm going to price this right, uh, Jack, and just say 70. You cheeky bastard. It's, it's a shit right move, rule. but I don't care. <laughs> Unless it's 64, in which case, fuck. Well, 
A New Hope. Jack, you were closer. In fact, you were one off. 92% positive Ooh, Interesting. Ooh. Very interesting. Nice. Similarly, A Clone Wars. Jack, you were again closer. Slightly, slightly overestimating it. You guessed 21%. 18% positive oh, reviews. Wow. Yeah, tens make sense, yeah. That's yep. appropriate, yeah. Shit. Uh, and then Solo, Jack, you're going to want to throw something at Matt because Ooh. you were so close, but Matt got it dead on at 70. <laughs> oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> oh, <laughs> McClunky, you right, piece of shit. <laughs> McClunky to you too, motherfucker. Uh, no, that's, that's, that's a dick move on my part, but that's a Solo move, I think. Um, yeah. That's uh, that kind of makes sense. Um, and if I if, think I, if you'd like audience scores for those, uh, oh, I'm curious. Go for it. Yeah. New Hope, ninety six. Oh, there you go. That makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. yeah, sure. Clone Wars, thirty nine. What fuck the fuck? Uh, and Solo, sixty three. Yeah, them Star Christ. Wars fans. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, okay, the fact that they're giving it sixty three percent and they're outraged. Uh, says nothing to me when they give 39. I know it's not they as an invert comma. It's not the same person every single time, but with Star Wars fans, it kind of is. But interesting. Exactly as you say, we're, we're doing a film that's down from 96 to 70, basically. I'm yeah. oh, sorry, 90, 92, would you say? 92, is it? 92. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so 22 so, point drop. Yeah. It, and that's that's actually quite uh, quite tame for us. It's not a Shrek where it went up. No. Nah. We won't talk about that. Um <laughs> It's a guide for you guys. It's a bit of a metric. It's not an exact science. No. Um, but I, I am very curious to see how Jack's going to fix it because I do not give the smallest of shits about a solo film. I'm glad Jack has this more than me because mm. I know what I would do. I would piss fans off <laughs> and I would push Solo to the back of his own fucking feature and there'd be people would be livid. They'd be like, what, what? You've made a solo film and he's a side character. It's like, yeah, that's where he belongs. It's a Chewbacca story. Fuck you. Um, so, yeah, Jack, what have, you, what have you got for us? So, it's my turn to do a Star Wars prequel. <laughs> Again, it's, it's similar to a Dark Knight Rises thing of like, this is a thing I've been writing in my head for decades at this point <laughs> almost. Mm. But, but no, this film came out two years ago, so it's slightly different. Not, not quite the same. And, mm. and we're like, oh God, this needs fixing straight away. But in a Oh, if we do prequels, hmm, I get to do this. That could work quite nicely. First things first, I want to I fix a couple of things. None of this fucking bullshit of him getting his name and all that bollocks, all right? There's no dice. There's no, well, what are your people? Solo? So, not only that, Han I'm getting... Man. Exactly. <laughs> I'm getting rid of Solo as a title as well. Good. I'd like to introduce you to, ladies and gentlemen, men of the jury, Life Debt, a Star Wars story. Which is See? a concept in Star Wars, and has I have somewhat borrowed it from a couple of others. There's been some comics called Life Debt. There is a novel, the Aftermath trilogy is Aftermath Life Debt. I think that's the second one. Jar Jar um, Binks. Yeah, Jar Jar Binks, he has a Life Debt to Qui-Gon Jinn because he's the best <laughs> character ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's a concept in Star Wars. It's kind of like the um, the Witcher thing, where like you have oh, to. Oh yeah, yeah. What's the prophecy? Whatever it is. Yeah, the weird prophecy thing where you have to like, oh, I have to give you the next thing that is given to me instead of Something getting a reward. Something of chance or getting... some shit. I can't remember what it is now. Some bollocks. I can never remember. Fucking fantasy in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like it's some unwritten rule of Star Wars. It's like, oh, it's a life debt thing. <laughs> like, okay. But the thing is, for for the layman, that also still makes sense as a title. You know, you're getting Han. You know, you're getting. 
your boy Chewbacca. There's two mm. things straight away. Like life that instant, you instantly think of that. Unless you're deep into the Star Wars lore and you think of weird shit and the extended <laughs> universe stuff. And yeah, like I would hope that life debt instantly conjures up. Oh, it's it's going to tell you about the origins of Han and Chewie and how they meet each other. Yeah. Spoiler alert. It's also interesting because uh, Rogue One is not a title that has or a word phrasing Rogue One. It's not something that's been lifted from previous films. I mean, yes, there's Rogue Squadron and you have the idea of that, but as a title, it's just very unique and standalone. And mm. I think this is also quite equally unique and standalone. That was my plan. Going mm. along with a similar kind of thing of like, make it a ship name or a catchphrase or a thing instead of just the person's name. Because if you get Solo, a Star Wars story, then Rogue One should be called Urso, a Star Wars <laughs> story. And that's shit. But or they called it so. They called it Solo because merchandising. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that you would get pushback because of well we want the name recognition of Han Solo exactly but yeah. um, it, is, it is a very it's Star flat... Wars that's the name recognition yeah it's a very flat Oi, title Kathy Kennedy piss off I'm in charge now <laughs> I don't think I want to be in charge she's she's doing fine no, no she's fine a bit scary but fine I mean producers if you've met a producer yeah. they all fucking are exactly exactly as a director I'm bringing back a cast member of Solo, a Star Wars story. <laughs> because, pff, why not? And uh, we mentioned The Mandalorian earlier, and yeah. that's kind of my, my, my mm-hmm. touchstone for this. And uh, again, we're talking about the safe pair of hands and a guy who makes really solid films and, and can both act and can both direct and can write and do the whole nine yards and is a really good cook. <laughs> John Favreau. That's a really love good me show. Some, love me some John Favreau. Mm. We mentioned earlier, in quite late, about the idea of unique signature moves, as it were, and 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 I traits that sort of uh, eclipse a film. Favreau is very good and capable as a director. He has a handle on how to keep things on budget, on time, and he knows the industry. And subsequently, because of that, he's a, he's a, he's a very uh, solid, dependable choice. Um, I mean, this is a very self-fulfilling prophecy again because it's like, oh, well, we also know this because, as you said, The Mandalorian, yes, it's television, but, you know, if you were to say, oh, well, Cowboys and Aliens was shit, and you're like, yes, it was. It was a terrible, terrible idea and a terrible script. What's your point? The direction <laughs> is still fine. Yeah, and it he's, is. And he's someone yeah. that Disney trusts, you know. He kickstarted Iron Man, he did Iron Man 2, he did The Jungle Book, you know. Mm-hmm. And The Lion King, which despite all the backlash about the way it was shot and the 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 you know focusing on the reality as it mm. were still now currently the highest grossing animated film of all time so mm. it doesn't necessarily but matter but it's a live action remake right matt well well no because nothing about it's live action i'm working on a podcast but i'm shaking my head <laughs> <laughs> but no favro favro is um, a good choice here speaking of the lion king that's somewhat relevant i guess mm. i guess i kind of get in the way of him making the lion king because i'm keeping the release year of 2018 yeah so we'll cope that. with that yeah yeah, yeah. They, they vote. You kind of have to do that. You either do like, I'm. It's 1985, and I'm casting Harrison Ford as a slightly <laughs> younger Harrison Ford, or like do something bold like do it in the 90s before the prequels, or just post prequels and try and make up for them or something mm. like that. I had a couple of ideas like that, but I thought no, they've opened up the door with with Rogue One and all this kind of stuff to do the Star Wars story stuff. So let's keep it within that wheelhouse. Let, let's let's play Disney's game for one yeah. better phrase. And I think that's perfectly fine. I think if you you could have gone very radical, you could have said, "I'm doing my solo prequel and I'm doing it in 1986." It's like, oh, so literally straight after, effectively, you know, three year gap from 
<clears throat> the release of Return of the Jedi and then back in with another Star Wars film. Oh, okay. And then, you know, that would shape, the, again, different type of history. And you could do that. But I think what you've done here... With River Phoenix. <laughs> Ooh, ah, yeah, actually, I'm on board with that. Um, yeah, yeah. But this completely... Oh, no, now you've said River Phoenix is young Han Solo and Han Solo from the 80s. You've kind of ruined everything else that follows. Sorry, man. You, <laughs> you yeah. fucked it. Don't you know. fucked it. But, but yes, th- this does make sense. And it's not like, oh, I'll do it in 2013. It's like, no, because of rights disputes and people being in production, force away, no one would have done that. And it, all the bits and pieces. You can't. So this has to be here. And it's a bit of a bit of a bottle for bottleneck for Jack, because I don't think there's much you could do. You either go pure fantastical and say, I'm releasing in 2001. It's like, oh, what? <laughs> um, so we're going to... Comes out in 1999. Yeah. This is... <laughs> Fuck you, epi- This is episode one. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> or alter- well, yeah. Or alternatively, you you make this, which is basically on the rails of if they approached you to say, write me a, a Han Solo movie to fit in with what we're doing, you would have written this. So, yeah. Sorry, do carry on. I'm I'm fascinated. Returning cast, for want of a better phrase, because that doesn't really apply. Usually we mean that in the original film and then, you know, the people from the original film coming back. I mean this from people who were in Solo now are in life debt. Yeah. I'm keeping Junus Suatomo, who plays Chewbacca. He's fantastic. Yep. There's no Hands reason down. to replace him. Yeah. He's, Brilliant. he's been a great... Uh, Peter Mayhew has kind of given him his blessing and they, they did a lot of work together and it's really like he's... He's handed off the baton in a really fantastic way, and I think I think yeah. Jonas has done a, a fantastic job of embodying that role. Since Peter Mayhew has been physically unable to do it, he's done a great job. So, and no arguments from me. We all talk about the idea of like, oh, who's going to play a young Lando? Who's going to be a young Han Solo? This guy is already playing Chewbacca. Both young and nobody and old. fucking talks about it. No, and it's not like the same. Like, oh, it's different. It's like. It isn't. He's been chewy for years. Yeah. yeah. Nobody, it, nobody's even fucking noticed. I bet important. a lot of people have no idea that's not no. Peter Mayhew. Or well, even who Peter Mayhew is, to be fair. But if, if you ever see an old still. man walking, you know it definitely isn't. Um, I know there are scenes like in Force Awakens, which was mm. Mayhew and stuff like that, but it, it's solo Suotomo at this point. Oh, no. Sorry. It, it's just Suotomo at this point. I meant to say solo. <laughs> sorry. I had an idea to be the. Uh, for recording this, I was going to be extremely, extremely obnoxious. And I wanted to take every time someone said, so I would end up saying, low. <laughs> oh, God. And it would have been painful. And I had considered it, but I thought, I don't have that kind of energy. And we would have edited out every single one of them. Good luck. Um, so. Uh-oh. Low. <laughs> well done. We all freeze frame there. Um, so um, the. Uh, the Chewbacca replacement has never gotten the credit that it deserves. And I'm always impressed by Suatomo. So him coming back, of course, makes complete fucking sense. I'm also bringing back the man known as Childish Gambino, a.k.a. Mm. Donald Glover. Mm-hmm. As your boy, Landonis Balthazar Calrissian. <laughs> Fuck yes, off. That, that is Lando Calrissian's full name. Oh, reasons. Stars, why do you do we'll, this? We'll just call him Lando. It's fine. We'll just call him Young Lando, Donald Glover. I think he's fantastic in the original solo. I think he'll bring the right kind of smugness and dickheadishness and all that kind of stuff to the yeah. There's slightly adjusted kind of role I've got in in this film as well. So he yeah. he was again the kind of casting nobody said. Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, exactly. Everybody oh, met. you want to get the of course the yeah. coolest guy in the world to play yeah. Lando Calrissian? Sure. Here's where we get potentially controversial Ooh, and love a bit sexual. of controversy potentially interesting as well i think it's going to open up a lot of discussion for you guys to talk about 
okay. after we've uh, kind of gone through this. But yep. I'm bringing in not Alden Ehrenreich. And I have nothing against Alden Ehrenreich. I think he actually did a pretty okay job. Yeah, I don't mind it. I think he's decent in that film. Mm. I'm bringing in a guy who has already played a young Harrison Ford mm. in Age of Adeline. I know Matt is hesitant about this because we've talked about this before. Yeah. You either have, the way you do interpretations of characters, you, you kind of fall into two categories. You either give it a new breath of life and you capture the essence of a character, or, and it's usually in a negative way, you capture an impersonation of the original actor. Mm-hmm. I think, for example, Donald Glover does a fantastic job of capturing Lando's essence. Agreed. But he doesn't have to look exactly like Billy D. Williams, or sound exactly like Billy D. Williams, except for the Han Han thing. That it's <laughs> But that's in the script. I'm casting Anthony Ingruber, who is, weird enough, kind of known as a Harrison Ford impersonator. (laughs) He became famous by doing a Han Solo impersonation on YouTube and kind of gained traction there and is now a voice actor. He's gone on to be, for example, the Joker in the Telltale Batman series, and he's really, really good at that, really good voice actor. And he's done a couple of things. I mentioned he's in Age of Adeline. He plays a younger version of Harrison Ford's character in that film. Mm. I think he does a decent job. He doesn't, you know, blow your socks off or anything like that. But I think he could capture the essence of Han Solo and, fingers crossed, not fall into the impersonation category. Mm. Mm. And I'm almost having this as just a kind of... It's more interesting for us to talk about it than just like, yeah, Alden Ulrich's fine, let's keep him. No, I get it. Let's open up the discussion. I want to hear your guys' other ideas of who else you would cast and, and all that kind of stuff. Because you obviously had, like, the shortlist. You had Taron Egerton on there. Mm. You had Ansel Engel, or however the proper yeah, pronounce yeah. his name, who's always confused with Alden Ehrenreich, and I think it's <laughs> Ansel Ehrenreich and Alden mm. Egort and all that kind of stuff. Like, I I'm, I'm can't keep track of, you know, which generic white guy is the next it, generic white guy. It, and all it's that kind it's of Hollywood. Stuff. They knocked on the door of a lot of people who are the kind of same person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I think Aaron Wright got kind of a little bit tossed under the bus by the production. Unfortunately, they kind of leaked during the production that they were sending him off for acting lessons and uh, that kind of stuff, which I'd imagine was probably just because he wasn't used to improv in the improv-heavy environment that yeah, they yeah. had him. And you know, you've got people like Woody Harrelson and Donald Glover mm. and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, all of whom are going to be very quick on their feet when it comes to improv. Mm. So if you're not used to that kind of thinking on your feet, it's it's going to be a little bit difficult for you. But I think he does a fine job certainly doing like a, a one now a, a solo film nowadays. I can't think of anyone who I would especially be like, oh no, you've got to switch him out over for this guy. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think the I have a couple of names I'd like to, to throw in the arena later. We'll talk about that after the pitch, obviously. But I think ultimately, they're not like, I'm like, but you have to have these guys. This is the guy. This is the one that would do it. It's like, these also might work. That's the thing. Because at the end of the day, Harrison Ford, very few people can imitate him. In fact, very few people can imitate anybody in the same way that you feel like, oh, I'm playing a young Jack Nicholson. It's like, okay, I'm going to start doing this ridiculous over-the-top impression and it's like is that going to work on it so every actor is has to walk that line at the end of the day there's no absolute guarantee that you get someone who you think is the perfect cast and go ah shit this isn't working so yes who else have you got in the old docket speaking of lando i've got his right hand man 
his uh, assistant, his aide on Cloud City. L L three. No, <laughs> funnily enough, I'm talking about my boy Lobot. Yeah, Lobot. <laughs> Good old Lobot. Lobot. Good old Lobot. I'm casting a man who I really like in a few different things, and mm. the, the inspiration for this was very much his performance in Fringe, where he is uh, the Watcher, the Observer, I think the character is called, where mm. he's very much like goes from being very creepy and almost alien and robotic and weird and gradually becomes slightly more sensitive to human emotions and all this kind of stuff and, and kind of grows in that way. Not Not to spoil my own pitch but I'm kind of going in the other way where he would start off as more emotional and then by the end of it, he's more cold and closed off and calculated. Interesting. And I'm talking about Michael Cerverus, who also happens to be a bald dude, so that <laughs> kind of helps. He, he is great in Fringe. I really love it. He's, mm. I forget if he's September or August. Yeah, he's, September. He's named I after a is, month. He ends up being, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah he's really great. Like the, the, the bits where you see him and he's... Like you say, he's very good at playing this kind of emotionless uh, observer of events. Uh, and mm. then the moments where he does become kind of more emotionally open up are, are really affecting. He's a, he's, and I think he's quite a well-known theatre actor as well. Um, don't, hasn't done a huge amount say... of, of movies. You know, done the odd movie, old TV. But, mm. but yeah, I think he's a, a, yeah. a really solid choice. Yeah, I, I mostly know the name from, from theatre and musical sort of stuff. It's it's a minor gripe to have, by the way, but I'm gonna throw it out there just to just to just to say it. How old is this dude? Is he in fact older than the actor who played Lobot later, or does it matter? I mean, bald guys all look the same, right, Matt? How <laughs> completely fair? Um, no, I just meant <laughs> bald white men can be seventy or twenty, and you're like, it's I don't know. It's it's Star Wars. I imagine it's like the if he's a if he's a Robo Man, he could be like unaging. I don't know if it matters. Again, as, I don't as know. Far, it's, it's as just far me. as I know, Michael Cerveris is probably in his what forties at this point. Maybe early fifties. Maybe let, early have 50s. A, let me have a Google. I'm curious. Um, I believe. Oh, he's sixty according to IMDb. Whoa! He's, so he's, he's sixty this year. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. He doesn't look it. No, because he's bald. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Stewart has looked seventy for fifty years. That's so he's like, God, he looks young. I was like, well, no, he's always looked old. It's the opposite. That's why I shaved my hair off so I'd be eternally thirty-nine, even though I'm not thirty-nine yet. <laughs> um, cool, that's fair. I, I like that. That's good casting. I have a good shout. How old is the Lobot actor? I guess let's find out. John Wait, I, mean, I assume he's dead now. He looks a hundred. He's dead now. He was, he was fifty, late fifties. So yeah. That Born makes sense, in 1927. Then. So that makes go. sense. So off. he would literally, you, you could say like, you know, if you, anyone did query, you'd say, what? Not everyone has to be a oh, fucking toddler in this universe. They're like three Wookie. or four years difference and there's three or four years difference in the scale of the films or whatever. So like, no, that, yeah, it doesn't matter. That's good. I like That'd it. Be fine. Next up, a new character. I say new. Stolen from the comics is what I mean. Lifted. Sa yeah. Sergeant Triosa Brug, who is a, an Imperial sergeant. Mm-hmm. Played by Denai Guerrera, who mm. you may know from The Walking Dead, you may know from Black Panther. She's fantastic, and I think she will bring the right kind of gravitas and emotion and a kind of conflict there, as you will see in the pitch, to this role. And I think she'll do that really, really well and have a nice kind of chemistry with, with Han Solo in that way. Yeah. So that's, I, I literally have no comment. That's great. <laughs> Love it. And she's worked with Disney, so she's in there. 
I don't say in their pocket, but you, we, and then Paul Bettany turned up because they had him. His docket was yep. clear because they made it clear. <laughs> pretty you know? much. Yeah. Pretty much. And uh, the the final of the, the main cast, for want of a better phrase, the, the full speaking roles and that kind of thing. Mm. Another Imperial called Captain Netic Wayne, also stolen from the comics. Cool. Played by Clancy Brown, who is just basically, yeah. I'm a huge fan of. Oh, uh, so I think good. He would, he would, he's just got one of the best voices and is one of the most underappreciated character actors and it's a not a huge huge role but the little scenes and what what little i would give him for his part i think he would absolutely nail and yeah there's a couple of moments where i could i'm when i was writing the character i hadn't particularly cast it yet and i was like i'm just hearing this in clancy brown's voice i can't help it (laughs) so uh yeah i just Mm -hmm. had to cast him i had no choice and he's got an iconic voice. You know, he was... Uh, oh, absolutely. He was uh, Lex Luthor in the uh, DC animated universe. That's correct, yeah. yeah. And Surtur in Thor Ragnarok yes, as well. Yeah. Which, yeah, was, yeah. which was a weird thing to notice. Uh, I've got three more in the uh, little, like, voice roles and cameos and stuff. Because Star Wars is always full of cameos. You know, you have like, oh, Daniel Craig's in Force Awakens. Tom Hardy's in Star Wars. Gareth Edwards is in Star Wars. You're like, mm. okay, sure, whatever. Um, so the obligatory director cameo. I'm bringing your boy Favreau back, but he's playing a different character. He's going to play a Celestin spice dealer that we will meet in the in the opening scene. It's a small part, not as weird or as horny as Rio. But, uh, <laughs> is he going to speak gonna the same be... language as Nine Numb with his face folds? Nine Numb. Yes, he's got he's got the. Yeah, the weird face fold thing. Yeah. We're all yeah. I'm, I'm miming it for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. He looks, he looks sort of a fa- like a shaved mole. Yes. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's like mus- mushroomy flaps in the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Matt's doing a great impression. Doing fine. Doing fine. <laughs> um, in a cameo voice role, the man who has voiced this character before in Clone Wars and things like that, mm. and who again I'm a huge fan of because I'm a I'm a big voice actor nerd. Uh, Kevin Michael Richardson is going to be voicing Jabba the Hutt. Good, good, recognizable. He can and he does, and he's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> he, he's he's the kind of person you think, oh, and then you these lift off these iconic performances and go, oh shit! I thought it was like Michael Clark Duncan or something. It's like no, you fucking daft racist. Um, because unfortunately, he, he he's 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 so prevalent in the voice acting scene, especially with television stuff, and he's played some fan-fucking-tastic roles. So, yeah, he's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant choice. Yeah, you uh, might know him from, oh, I don't know, every cartoon ever. <laughs> <laughs> if you, if you in, just Google him, yeah. He's in Family Guy. He's in various Batman things. He's in the Flintstones. He's in basically everything at this he's point. He's in the he's, Green Lantern animated series as he Gog. Is. He is. It's he's fantastic. Good, it? It's a great series. Yeah. He's he's been Clayface, he's been Jab like I said, Jabba the Hutt. He's mm. been all kinds of different characters. He is fantastic. And in fact he's played Jabba before. Obvious choice. Obvious choice. No brain. <laughs> Jabba the Hutt and Jabba the Four. Is that who? <laughs> exactly. And my fun little cameo, I won't tell you yet. Because mm. it will it will be uh towards the end of the pitch and I will just uh drop it in as it again it's a daniel craig tom hardy thing i'm like oh they, they got they got that guy in to be in a star wars film for 10 Did seconds somebody Isn't try and cool? get in christopher lambert <laughs> no as a blind jedi <laughs> there's enough blind jedi around already oh, Dear Lord. it's gonna be peter frampton isn't it hey <laughs> 
Alex! <laughs> <laughs> Alex snuck in and co-wrote the picture with me and just didn't tell anybody. I mean, he does love the shit out of Star Wars. He does, he does. So, let's get into it, shall we? Let's get into Life Debt, a Star Wars story. We see a bustling spaceport from a bird's eye view as Coronet Spaceport, Corellia, appears on the screen. I'm thinking the similar location cards as Rogue One, basically. Keeping the similar aesthetic and, again, not to spoil things, we're going to jump around to a couple of different locations, a couple of different planets and stuff, so you're going to get a couple of different location cards. And no, they're not the Avengers one that take up the entire (laughs) fucking screen. It's just going to be a little... I love those. Not the Civil War ones, no. Big ass location titles. Yeah. I like knowing exactly where I am because I can't see where I am. (laughs) Yeah. I'm told where I am. It's better than some, like, Michael Bay ones. Somewhere in the Middle East. Thanks, Michael Bay. Fuck off, Michael Bay. Could just assume that. Something is stunned because I'm a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Ugh. Anyway. We slowly pan down through buildings and space traffic and see an unidentified man loading crates into a land speeder in a back alley. A Celestin, the aforementioned John Favreau, comes out of a nearby building with a final piece of cargo and tells him to take special care with this crate, warning him that the boss will have his head if he messes up another delivery. The human replies with a dejected, yeah, yeah, before loading the crate in. The Celestin grabs his arm to stop him climbing into the speeder. I'm serious, Solo. You're the best runner we have, but don't think you're not expendable. Han smirks and goes to leave again. Zlustin grips on, but Han doesn't respond and jumps into the landspeeder. I uh, I like the idea that he's like, Solo, I've never had a surname before, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Solo? I like it. <laughs> or alternatively, let's face it, that's been a running thing recently. We haven't even brought this up, but... Uh, What's your name? Ray. Ray what? Solo. <laughs> Makes more sense. Does actually make much more sense. But there we go. We catch up with Solo a few moments later, pulling out onto one of the main cargo lanes in Coronet Spaceport, still on his delivery run. Han glances over his shoulder and spots a Corsac, which is short for Corellian Security Force. I know this because Jack put it in the uh, the notes, and he gave me a link to Wikipedia, so I would I'm know what they look like. Because I'm a fucking nerd, I added Wikipedia links to and my it, pitch. It was helpful, it was helpful. So the Corsac landspeeder is following them. He rolls his eyes and scouts his route ahead before a sudden sharp turn down an alleyway, very narrow, hoping to outmaneuver the more bulky Corsac speeder. One of the Corsac officers calls out via a loudspeaker for Han to slow down, prepare for a cargo inspection. Han instead speeds up and heading straight towards a busy main shipping lane full of land speeders, cargo and people. A frenetic land speeder chase ensues through the spaceport with Han pulling off some dangerous driving damaging his already banged up vehicle and eventually flipping the speeder on its side to squeeze through a small gap. Do you mean like in like, like in Solo? Like he does in the film. Exactly, yeah. 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 He does the like whoop and tips it on its side. Yeah. Just squeezes through. The Corsac pursuers fail to fit through the gap and crash spectacularly. Han lets out a... <laughs> You're not wrong, right? You're not wrong. That's how he does it on the old <laughs> farm. Um, he lets... He lets one of those out over his shoulder and turns around, heading straight into an Imperial checkpoint. Han tries to break but crashes straight into the Imperial outpost. Holds his hands up as stormtroopers and Imperial soldiers surround him. Han Solo is facing his sentencing in the Corset Court. There is no judge or jury in this court, however. It's clearly controlled by the Empire and just a front. The Corset Director, a stern-faced older man with long grey hair, serving as the judge, receives whispered information from an Imperial officer before delivering the verdict. The director announces that Han should be sent to a mining colony to serve out his sentence. Han chirps up 
about how he's probably not the best miner and suggests he could be put to better use in service of the Empire. The Imperial officer perks up at this suggestion and whispers to the director again. The director looks surprised but nods in agreement. He declares that his skills will be put to better use at the Naval Academy on Corrida. The Imperial officer steps forward and introduces himself as Triosa Brug, a sergeant at the Academy. Han Solo, come with me. Welcome to the Empire. Title card, Life Dead, a Star Wars story. Do, 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 do. That's not the thing. Yep, it's a, it's a lounge jazz version of the Star Wars thing. Yeah, exactly. We see a barren, mountainous landscape as a familiar sound grows louder. Thank you. A handful of surprise, surprise, TIE fighters zoom past and we follow them to reveal the location. Again, location card Imperial Naval Academy. Carida. Inside the cockpit of the lead TIE fighter is Sergeant Trios and Brug, demonstrating aerial manoeuvres to her pupils. Han is chatting with and mocking his fellow cadets over the comms system while executing the instructions perfectly. One of the other cadets challenges him to fly under a nearby rocky archway. Han laughs and, despite nearly crashing, manages to pull off a spectacular and dangerous manoeuvre. He impresses a classmate, but manages to anger his instructor in the process. I feel like the attitude and things he's got he's he he wants to be Han Solo wants to be Will Smith in Independence Day but he's actually Harry Connick Jr. in Independence Day and he's like exactly no. <laughs> brilliant nailed it that's what that's exactly what I had in my brain when I was thinking when I was writing this whole thing <laughs> we cut to Han standing in front of another Imperial trial this time in the office of Captain Netic Wayne and with Sergeant Brug by his side the captain begins reprimanding Han for his recklessness and insubordination Wayne turns his attention to Brooke, asking her to explain how she could let this happen under her watch. Brooke explains that while Han is impulsive, his piloting is the best in his class. Han says that that's the first time anyone said that about him, but his reply only irritates Wayne more. He tells Cadet 124329, Jack, I assume that's a thing. That is a reference to the comics, that is Han's cadet go. number yep, in the Empire. Mm -hmm. He tells the cadet to shut up and tells Han he's lucky to have Brooke vouch for him. Wayne says that the cadet has one more chance or he will face expulsion, and finally, he revokes Han's flight privileges for a week. You're grounded, son. Exactly. You're grounded, Solo. You're <laughs> grounded. Han and Brug leave the captain's office together. Brug reminds Han that he doesn't get the same amount of leeway in an Imperial Academy as he did on the streets of Corellia. Han turns to her, asking her if she really thinks there's room for mistakes on Corellia. Making a mistake in his world meant you end up being killed by someone in one of the crime syndicates. On Corellia, you eventually ended up on the other end of a blaster from a Caldanus, the Pikes, or God forbid, the Huts. He tells her that he's had to fight for everything he's ever had, and flying is the only thing he's ever been good at. Baruch fires back, saying that she hasn't always been an Imperial officer, and that he should consider other people before acting recklessly in the future. Han throws himself into his training over the next few months, learning to restrain his recklessness. This culminates with Han graduating from Brug's class and being allowed to go out on missions outside of the Corrida system. Han and his classmates put their helmets on and prepare for takeoff in their first mission. Top Gun theme plays. Exactly. No, that's still st Star Wars actually does have a very similar start to the Top Gun theme. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. I've decided it does. Carry on. We cut to the outside of a Star Destroyer above a snowy planet with the location card of Vandor, which is the planet in Solo where we meet 
some characters and stuff. The train planet. The train planet, exactly. The train planet. planet. Led by Baruch, Han's squadron of TIE fighters swoop towards the planet's surface and begin scouting. One of his squad mates reiterates their mission. Check for any unregistered vehicles as there have been reports of a major interplanetary spice smuggling trade. We see a freighter taking off from the surface and one of the TIE pilots goes to investigate. They're quickly fired upon by an anti-aircraft gun from the surface, disabling the TIE before it crashes into the mountains below. Baruch tells the group to maintain formation, but Han breaks away. That fucking rogue. <laughs> oh, he's such a scoundrel. He's a rogue, yeah. that one. He's a right rogue one, he is. Just a shit officer. Brug shouts at Han over the comms to return to the group, but Han refuses. The main group of TIEs are hit by another anti-aircraft shot from below, taking out two of the TIE fighters in one shot, and they plummet out of the sky. Brug finally tells her group to split up and begins reporting the ambush back to the Star Destroyer. Before she can finish her sentence, Han chunts her fighter from the side, pushing her out of the way of a cannon shot at the last second. Ah, sees a canny one. Sees he doesn't follow orders, but it gets it done. The shot disables Han's tie and he crashes through one of the bridges between the buildings, smashing the ion engines of the side of his fighter. They're, they're the big things on the side. They're the, the uh, iconic... The yeah. tie part of the tie fighter. Yeah, the big, the big <laughs> solar panel things. Han collides with the ground and his ejector seat finally triggers, catapulting him onto the roof of a nearby building and passing out as he lands. Han wakes up tied to a chair, stripped of his equipment. Hello. And clothes. <laughs> Down to like vest and pants is my imagination. Star Wars pants. Yeah, hell yeah, yeah. it's your imagination. Well, they've, they've got like little Darth Vaders on or something, and like little, <laughs> little chibi Darth Vaders. As his eyes come into focus, we see a towering figure of a Faleen, a large green skinned reptilian humanoid with forehead ridges. If you've seen Clone Wars, you probably know what a Faleen is. They're, they're big, scary reptilian dudes. Hmm. Yeah. He strikes Han across the face and shouts at him in his native language. Han spits out some blood and frantically replies in broken snippets of a few languages, including Shuriwook, which I'm guessing is the Wookiee language. That's the Wookiee language, yep. And Huttese. Presumably the Hutt language. The Hutt language, how did you guess? <laughs> because Jabba the Hutt is just called... That's equivalent of me being called Jack the Man. Because <laughs> Jack and, the Man and who my, speaks my man. Language, my language is Manese. Yep. Because fuck Star Wars. <laughs> the feline is called off by a figure in the corner of the room revealing a bald human with cybernetic implants wrapping around his head from ear to ear. Lobot holds up Han's tattered flight suit, reciting his cadet number, and saying he knows a thing or two about being forced to work for the Empire. Han looks up and smirks at his captor, asking why he's still alive. Lobot replies, telling him that they may have use for him, because they need an expendable pilot. The camera scans through a bar full of aliens, scoundrels, and ruffians. And also like a guy with a weird werewolf... <laughs> thing. And a devil, and like a devil for some reason, mm. and like a bunch of other weird shit. And and there's only one of them. There's no groups usually, unless they're playing nope. in a band. No, just one devil man, one dog man, one weird insect creature drinking yeah. a milkshake. Lots of humans, because reasons. Loads of humans, or like near humans, with like humans with blue faces and stuff like that. Yeah, as good as the sign above the bar reads the lodge. That is the same saloon bar from Solo, a Star Wars story. I'm I'm nicking that. Okay. And we see, a, we see a cage fight happening between a Wookiee and an unfortunate Twi'lek, which is the, the guys with the head tentacles, mm. opponent in the corner. The crowd explodes with celebration as Chewbacca the Wookiee delivers the knockout blow and is declared the winner. In a corner, we see a packed sabak table. And as everyone at the table laughs, we see Lobot approach the man who is centre of attention. Lando goddamn Calrissian. Lando's smile is cut off as Lobot whispers something in his ear. He excuses himself from the table and takes his winnings with him. 
Lando enters the room guarded by the Feline and asks Lobot if he's sure he's the right guy for the job, because he doesn't look like much. Han takes offence to the question and insists he can fly anything. Fly your mum. Exactly. <laughs> Lando laughs as Lobot whispers something to him again. He nods to the Feline, who approaches Han and releases his restraints. Lando extends a hand to Han and asks him if his life on Corellia means he knows how to fly a modified Corellian YT-1003 freighter. Han takes his hand and rises to his feet and replies simply with, Like I said, I can fly anything. What are you laughing at? I don't know, I don't know. Han, hand, I, hand, hand, no, no, hand. That was, you'd think that'd be the logical one. Han, hand, 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 hand. No, hand, 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 it was hand, because hand. we said, I can fly anything. And I, after I said the mum, your mum joke, and I thought about it for a second, and I thought... What is this a Star Wars thing he could fly? And all I could hear was Forrest Whitaker saying, What can it? I thought, what, what the fuck? It? <laughs> no the thing that can... doesn't fly, the, the blob tentacle monster. Yeah, he could fly that. Yeah. Um, anyway, That's kind sorry. of crafty and weird, isn't it? I, I love that delivery so much. It, it makes me so happy. Okay. We see Lobot attending to some repairs and adjustments underneath the freighter in a nearby hangar. Lando leads Han towards the ship and gestures to his baby... The Millennium Falcon. The Millennium Falcon. Yeah, we all go, ooh, because we recognise oh, it, and everyone else just goes, it's, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, does your Millennium Falcon have an escape pod? No. Good. Um, Han approaches it, looking impressed as a piece of junk comes flying out of the Falcon's door, accompanied by a roar of frustration. What does that really sound like, Matt? Hang on, hang on, I've been working on this, I can do this. There we go. <laughs> Nailed it. Perfect. That's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Peter may Bloody even hell, do a better job. He wouldn't even try. He no, he fell just Did Peter, Peter Mayhew do the voice as well? He just said, We're going Because <laughs> there are like there are translated versions of the script where you like hear his I think his like they have with Groot as well. I think yes. there is like a version of the script where he's like, God, bloody hell, Han, let's go off and do an adventure, shall we? Well, like, what are you thinking about, Chewie? You, like, you've heard the audio, oh, right? Of him sh- shouting from behind the mask. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. They're like, where are you going? Oh, man's crazy. It's like, fucking hell. <laughs> and that and, and Prowse's Darth Vader. Of, you yeah. remember the Rebel Alliance? Like, oh, it's, it's You're a traitor and a spy. You're a traitor and a spy. <laughs> a smuggler pirate, Poldark. Okay. Um, it's like I, uh, I always anyway. assume that R2-D2 just has like the filthiest mouth in the galaxy. <laughs> He's being sensitive, yeah, exactly. That, that's into that, like... Uh, 3PO does a couple of like I beg your pardon and that kind of stuff quite a few times so yeah it's fair Chewbacca comes storming out of the ship holding a seemingly broken part Lando tries to calm the Wookiee down and tells him to put it back where it found it while Chewbacca continues growling and roaring in his native tongue which we've established earlier (laughs) Jesus Christ Lando tries to explain to Han that they needed some extra muscle for this job so they hired Chewbacca Han smiles and replies to Chewbacca in broken Chiriwook, asking him what the problem is. Lando looks surprised as he seems to calm the Wookiee. Han, uh, yeah, what would calm the guy? Maybe speaking his language. <laughs> um, yep. Han, again in broken speech, reassures Chewbacca and heads up to the ship with him. Lando chuckles and shrugs the lowbot as they both head into the ship. I just want to I want to make a complaint uh, as we're doing the... Uh, the My impression wasn't Han... that great. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> where, the moment where Han meets Chewie. Another thing I hate about so and this this whole Star Wars over-explained thing, like the fact yeah. that they have Han be like Chewbacca, that's really long. I'm going to have to think of a nickname. It's like everyone in the Fuck world off. understands why that, like he might sometimes call him Chewie. We, I love the idea that we, we met. All and was know like, Nick, Hi, how nicknames work. Yeah. Hi, I'm Timothy Matum. 
Timothy, that's quite long. Yeah. Matthew, Matthew. I mean, I'm going to call you Matt. Yep. Uh, I, I called Tim Chewy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I, but I think, to be fair, that's uh, historically uh, anachronistic because Tim did not introduce himself as Timothy. He introduced himself as Tim. Um, actually, I think someone introduced him to me as Tim, so that's Tim oh, over there. He's there cool. Right. Inside the Falcon, Lando sits down with the crew and reiterates the plan. They're heading to Kessel to pick up some spice and take it to Lando's employer on Tatooine. Ooh, who could that be? Who could that be? Mysterious. Duke Atreides. (laughs) Lando discusses the details of the Kessel Run and how notorious it can be and how dangerous the spice mines can be as they'll be dealing with the Pike crime syndicate. Lando will do the negotiating with Chewbacca as backup while Lobot and Han remain on the Falcon ready for a quick getaway. The Falcon jumps into hyperspace and after a few minutes begins shaking. Han asks if this is normal, and Lobot insists this is not the usual experience for hyperspace travel on the Falcon. Some of the circuits begin to fizzle and fry, and the ship begins to slow down out of hyperspace. Lando slams his fist onto the main console as the ship comes to a stop and floats in space above an orbiting pair of black holes. Lando and Lobot retreat to the engineering room, leaving Han as pilot and Chewie as co-pilot. Han manages to switch on the engine, but the hyperspace drive still isn't working. Lobot plugs his implants into a circuit and begins making calculations, stating them robotically as Lando scrambles in a hatch in the floor. Han, hearing Lobot's calculations, says that they could generate some gravitational energy by slingshotting around the binary black holes. Lando tells Han not to try it, but Lobot assures him that it's the only way to generate enough energy. Lobot begins the countdown as they swing closer to the black holes, and as he reaches zero, Lando connects a cable and shouts, Punch it, Solo! An enormous surge of energy rips through the Falcon <laughs> systems and it erupts into hyperspace once more. As Han and Chewie celebrate in the cockpit, we see Lobot slump to the floor with his cybernetic implants crackling with energy. Lando cradles his friend and unplugs him, trying to save him, but Lobot replies with only calculations. The implants have taken over, leaving Lobot as little more than a drone. Sad times. Stolen from the comics, sort of. Adapted from the comics, because that is different. Landing on Kessel with an accompanying location card. Welcome to Kessel. Lando opportunity. Last toilet for 400 miles. Han and Chewie are still in the cockpit as Lando turns to Lobot in his quarters. Wink. Han tells Lando that he's too emotional Come and to look at the capes. I got so many capes in this one. <laughs> so many capes. Han tells Lando that he's too emotional to negotiate properly and that Han and Chewie will have to take the lead. Lando reluctantly agrees. The duo approach the Pike Syndicate representative and begin discussions. This Pike Syndicate representative, who might that be? This is my fun little cameo time. Mm. And as we're about to see, there's going to be a big big battle happening. There's going to be some mm. action. There's going to be mm. some ass-kicking. And who's better at ass-kicking in 2018 than John fucking Wick? Mm. Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Let's get some Keanu Reeves in there. I like it. Never see his face. So the, the Pike Syndicate guys, that is the guys who they meet in the with like the spiky helmets and the armor and stuff. Again, in Solo, they are the guys in the Spice Mines in the actual film as well. It's a similar kind of design, so you never see his face. You just hear this kind of distorted Keanu Reeves voice, and then he starts shooting shit and, and kicking ass. So basically a Pedro Pascal Mandalorian kind of thing, of just a cool kind race of, of armoured yeah. people, and just the voice like, oh my god, that's cool. That kind of, yeah, I, I like wonder, it. I wonder who that voice is. God, I really recognise that Pike guy's <laughs> voice. Mm. He, looks, he looks up oh, at Chewbacca and just goes... Whoa. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The Pike looks put off by Chewbacca's presence. And as uh, Tim mentioned, says, Whoa. And Whoa. Chewie notices a Pike slaver whipping Wookiees in the background. Chewie growls, 
quietly at Han, saying that the real reason he came to Kessel is to free the Wookiees. Again, is this subtitled? Or we do we how do we know this? Or is it, is it is it the classic Star Wars thing where Han says free the Wookiees? What are you talking about? That's that's the only one thinking. Yeah, she <laughs> yeah. would be like, he'd be like, what? I don't care what you smell. Suck my ass. We're here to do a job, Chewie. I mean, I ain't going to stop you. And then, yeah, carry on. Han turns to Chewie and tells him not to screw the mission up, but Chewie shrugs in a half-hearted apology and raises his bowcaster, firing at the nearby stock of spice. Kaboom! Um, As we found out in Force Awakens, bowcasters are basically cannons. Yeah. Apparently. At no point does Han Solo think, I should try this gun rather than the one gun I've had for... 50 years yeah. yeah but he does and he's like hey i kind of like this thing i like this gun it's quite yeah. powerful yeah that's, that is such a stupid thing because it's like have you never seen chewbacca fire his weapon before you've been hanging I'm... around with each other for like 40 years yeah he uses it all the time <laughs> yeah. um the drug as it turns out is highly explosive and it erupts into a huge fireball taking out a significant portion of the pike mining equipment and men um again Reeves be pissed at this point. The explosion yep. wakes Lando from his morning in the Falcon, and he looks out the window to see the Wookiee slaves beginning the revolt against their masters. Lando calls out to them to get back into the Falcon and escape, but Han just shrugs at him, drawing his pistol, and joins Chewbacca in the fray. Lando tells him that he can't risk his ship, apologizes, takes off, leaving Han and Chewie stranded on Kessel. Lando's dick a move. dick. Dick there move, but, the but yeah, but fair. I understand where it's coming from. Hashtag Lando was right. <laughs> Are you saying you would abandon me and Jack? Yeah, absolutely. That's fair. I'd abandon we know, we you. Know I'm not risking my capes. <laughs> you have one cape. Still too many capes to risk. Yep. <laughs> Chewbacca leads the fighting, freeing his fellow Wookiees from their restraints and arming them as he goes. Han does his best to fight alongside them, turning some of the equipment against the slavers, and they eventually succeed in freeing the slaves from the grip of the Pike Syndicate. It's a much longer sequence than those two sentences describe. That's Classically, a, especially with anything running action. through big... Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. Lots yeah. of Keanu Reeves, lots of... Hans she happens Solo, and it's awesome. Yeah. Yep. Cool fight scene happens. There you go, that's what you need. <laughs> After the battle, Chewbacca is embraced and cheered by the Wookiees, and Han smiles, seeing his new friend for the hero he is. Han commandeers a pike freighter and prepares to leave Chewbacca and the Wookiees to their new lives. Chewbacca stops him from leaving quietly and insists on coming with Han, as he owes him a life debt for helping to free his people. Han is confused but doesn't want to argue with Chewie, and they say goodbye to the newly freed Wookiees before departing on the freighter. Han jokes that they could head to Tatooine and complete the job, and Chewie shakes his head, growling. Han laughs, agreeing they have some unfinished business to attend to. Back in the lodge, Lando is talking to his employer via an off-screen holovid, trying to explain how we will still complete the delivery despite the setbacks. We hear a deep, guttural voice speaking in an unpleasant language, and the conversation ends with a high-pitched cackle from the other end of the call. <laughs> Lando returns to the sabak table and looks up to see Han Solo taking a seat opposite him, throwing some chips on the table. I have an offer for you, Calrissian. Lando looks like he's seen a ghost and asks what Han could possibly offer him. Han offers to take the heat for Lando's failed delivery. Lando relaxes back into his chair, intrigued, and returns to his usual smug persona. Lando asks Han what he wants from him. Han returns Lando's smug smile and replies, If I take your heat, and when I win this game of Sabak, you give me the name of your contact on Tatooine. Oh, and the Falcon. In the cockpit of the newly won 
Vulcan. Han is on we a We don't court. need to go through this about game. You either do a Casino Royale and you centre the whole film around a Sabat game. Mm, or fair. you don't, and you don't have to go through the here's how Sabak is played, and blah, blah, blah. So, Sabak yeah. consists of four cards and nobody cares. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fact. I love that. Like, they should just have a scene where there's like, it, like they sit down at the table and there's like an alien croupier and, and, he, and he starts like dealing out the cards and they, and they kind of like turn to look and, uh, and Han gets like, so how do you play this game? And the croupier goes, it doesn't matter, it's all made up anyway. <laughs> Star Wars isn't real, my good sir. <laughs> Fucking Monty Python character. I can only see it now as as the guy who's been living in the hole in life of Brian with his you know his his uh, thing of silence and he gets so angry and he was treading his feet. He goes, "Oh bloody hell!" Anyway, Terry Jones was the answer. So, in the cockpit of the newly won Falcon, Han is on a call with Lando's former employer, Jabba the Hutt. Big reveal! Oh no, never have guessed it. That would sound like a Transformer. (laughs) Transforming stuff. Reassuring him that the delivery is due soon and that he won't make the same mistake as Lando. His cockiness is cut off by the Falcon coming out of hyperspace and straight into an Imperial blockade. A familiar voice comes over the comm system asking them to prepare for a cargo inspection and identifying themselves as Captain Trissa Brugge. Standing in a hangar, Han is once again being dressed down by an Imperial officer as stormtroopers confiscate the spice. Brug says that she's disappointed in him, but not surprised that Han survived, and for a brief moment, they go back and forth with backhanded compliments, just like they were in the Academy. Brug stifles a smile and tells the stormtroopers to release the Falcon. One of them protests, but she emphasizes her rank and waves at Han and Chewie away. As he climbs into the ship, Han Solo waves a small salute, classic um, Han Soloism. The, the two-finger, like, little... The two-finger, good yeah, luck. Yeah, yeah. See you later. Good yeah. luck, kid, thing. As a thank you to Brug and continues on his journey. Are we keeping John Powell for score? Um, I liked it, but I don't know if it's going to fit your sure. version. Yeah, I like it. I think, yeah. I think he's good, because he, he, he was one of the good things about um, the first attempt at the Phoenix story with... Um, uh, Last Stand. I like the Last yeah. Stand score. It's pretty a, good. I think he's capable of doing previous, it. Previous sequelizers episode. Yeah. Uh, I really like that that uh, solo pitch. Yeah. I only have two or three minor things to point out, really. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. Come at me, bro. They're the two things. You and suck. No. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really solid improvement. Um, there are still things in there, like the idea you have an unavoidable nature like oh we have to go through the cliches of where does he get this how does he meet that it's like well that's kind of also what a prequel is unfortunately they're kind of unavoidable markers um i feel like they do that too much in the original i don't know oh, about the dice and i don't give a shit his name does not need to be explained yeah. it's a no, prequel thing that. of like here's Stupid. a thing that needs to be explained skywalker's a name why can't solo be a name it doesn't fucking matter yeah nope his birth fair. name is han solo tough shit doesn't matter yeah. easy but a couple of things that i thought i obviously mentioned life debt as the title you kind of have to have Han and Chewie in there. That's that's the thing. Yeah. And how he gets the Falcon is kind of a bit of a classic as well. And that's kind of the relationship with Lando there as well. So Precisely. And let's face it, we don't want to see the arc, as Tim mentioned earlier, that we see already in the Star Wars films later. We don't want that. We want Han to be just kind of a dick throughout, just a bit of a cocky asshole the whole way through. It's not that he has the arc there. It's that Chewie is the arc, that he needs this person. He's gone 
from place to place to place. He doesn't really need people, and that is his people accidentally sort of combined. Um, the prequels don't help you because the prequels made out Chewbacca was like some sort of fucking general who knows Yoda, which is he, bullshit. He served, he served in the Clone Wars alongside... My father. Like, yeah, alongside my father. <laughs> to, quote, exactly. to, quote, to quote Obi-Wan. Um, exactly, yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, like we said, like the, the, the Han's arc happens in Star Wars, and so the most natural place to look for some kind of emotional journey for him is how does he become friends with Chewbacca? Like... Yeah, and exactly. make and make the film that expression. And I think you do the really smart thing, which is you can have Chewbacca be a much more straight up heroic uh, figure. And I kind of like him yeah. almost as Han's conscience in an, in in certain he, ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. In, in in a way that comes from as Matt was saying, he's a general in the Clone Wars and stuff, yeah. and goes off to like save his people and all this kind of stuff. This is stuff taken from other Star Wars stuff. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> like the, I mentioned like I borrowed a lot from the comic so that the Lando comic have features like Lobot's tragic sacrifice that's adapted from there he he does it like uh, defeating some imperial people slightly different instead of the uh the hyperspace thing but yeah. Triosa Brug, Netic Wayne the whole thing on the Imperial Academy is from Han Solo Imperial Cadet which is a comic book series. Mm-hmm. Um and the life debt thing as a slight shift around from the old comics as well where Han was an imperial when he freed Chewbacca from slavery so that's slightly different mm. um, and that that's the life debt thing there but instead I turned it around like Chewbacca is already free but Han frees his people and it's you know that's the important the important thing to Chewie is his people and his family and his friends and all that kind of stuff and life Han sort of proves himself to yeah they're all celebrating life day together <laughs> <laughs> Um, the thing is, well, because you've streamlined a lot of shit from Solo, there's too much going on, basically. And I, I mean, Very, if, that's my main problem with yeah. that film. There's so yeah. much subplot, subplots and bullshit going on. A lot of juggling, which again is the nature of the, the very discordant nature of um, a, a, a production that's so chaotic. You, mm. You're just so many loose ends. That, that, that's that's almost understandable in a way. It's kind of expected based on what we ended up with. However, in that process, you've obviously taken quite a fairly large cast and boiled it down quite a lot. So we don't mention about how, like, Thandi Newton's in the film and uh, John Favreau's oh, in yeah. the film and things. Oh, There's yeah. tons of people <laughs> and it's too much. We, we so haven't you boiled even it down to a. Touched really on Paul Bettany and Dryden Voss as a, yeah, as a, as a bad guy because he's just like, oh, yeah, he's just generic space gangster. Yeah. Yep. Uh, With it's, a colourful scar face <laughs> thing. Is maybe that, it's a Darth that... Maul thing. It's not apparently. He's a slight. He's a near-human species of alien that expresses emotions oh, just... through his face colors. Did I'm not, not pick up, up on that, that at that's all. The can- that that's the oh. canon explanation. Yeah. No, yeah. he just has he, some he's, scars he's, in his face. He's, he's near-human. It's, it's his species Fuck off. designation. Well, anyway. my, my only real critique of the whole thing, really, pitch-wise, is we went from a fair, a small handful of badly written women to one really decently written one. Um, and unfortunately, it's unavoidable in Star Wars. You get kind of shit female characters. There aren't a lot of them. Um, so, Brug is great. I think she's really good. Obviously, she is a bookend. She's at the start and the end. Um, and I like her arc with with Solo. I think that's a nice little nod. And obviously, the Star Wars fans, the whole dumping a shipping run and whatever his excuses to Jabba. That that's that's fine. That's all good. Um, I can't think of a lot of other characters you could sling in there and make them meaningfully female, shall we say. 
Um, so, for example, Lobot is already established in the series. Has to be Lobot. Can't be Ladybot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so there's things like, and obviously that you are doing that. It's it's again the problem we mentioned of the uh, uh, the treasure hunt of of things. Han never mentions a woman in his life. His mother, his fucking sister, his... I'm not saying he has a mother or sister. Who fucking... He's, he's solo. We know this. He was born to no man. Um, and... But I don't know where you could have chiseled one win without being... Without, you know, clogging up the cast, basically. So it's, it's basically me airing a issue I can see, but I can't bring a good resolve this immediately, unfortunately. If that makes sense. Yep, that's fair enough. Yeah, I, I wanted to include um, Triosa Brug kind of stood out as a woman of color in yes, Star Wars, yes. which is not particularly common, mm-hmm. which was which is quite nice. And she's badly handled. Yeah, she, she's I, I've adapted her slightly from the comic. She does have that kind of instructor mentor kind of relationship mm-hmm. with Han, mm-hmm. but I've I've expanded upon her, bringing her back at the end and all that kind of stuff, and yes, and expanding upon it and and eagle-eared, eagle-eyed listeners, however you want to put it, might notice that Han apologizes to Jabba about being caught by an Imperial yes, blockade yes. and having his cargo taken away from him mm. in A New Hope. And that is what happens at the end. But the reason Han gets away without being killed is because he met his old sergeant-turned-captain. And mm-hmm. Han never says that to Jabba, obviously, but like, you, it's weird, like, hey, you can't avoid cargo inspection all the time. Even the best pilots get cargo inspected or something like that, is what and, he And says. that's the thing. I like that, and that feels like a nice... Remember I mentioned about the whole idea of a, a good way to reveal that stuff is to surprise you with it. It's to say something that the fans would go, oh, shit, this is that moment. We're in that moment now. I didn't even realise it was coming. And that's what this is. And I like it doesn't feel obvious. Um... So I, I I applaud that. That's a good it's a good choice. Um, I had a, I had a question about that kind of final moment. Do you picture there being quite a time gap between when we uh, between when we finish the rebellion on Kessel and when you show up again with Lando? Because it feels like that moment with Triosa Brug feels like it would be happening like a year after she's kind of missed him or or or, or he's you know he's he's disappeared off the radar, but. But if it happens straight away afterwards, he's only been missing for about a week. So, yes. So there were. Yeah, I think there'd be a long gap. I, I mentioned like the newly won Falcon because that's in in terms of the audience. But yeah, in terms of how that works, that is. Uh, yeah, I would suggest a longer period of time because you've also got to establish Han and Chewie as a mm. yeah as a relationship. And they've got to there track down Lando and yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got that mm. whole thing, and then that that period of time, and then yeah, they would maybe. Yeah, you can you can do that with with costume changes and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting because we do prologues all the time where it's like, this is a 15 minute or 10 minute sequence that's set three years before these events. It's very rare that people will tend to want to end a film like that. Where you're like, what's happening now? We're going to do a 10 minute bit at the end that's uh, three years later. And I know they exist, of course they do, but they're very rare. People like a close that closes rather than a little additional. But I think this is enough of a big scene that it works well, in my opinion. I think it's... But as you're right, I think I think there'd be enough there to to... to hopefully visually symbolize or signal mm. that it is a while later in my opinion and it and it brings it brings it kind of completes that arc of his relationship with the imperials back around yes otherwise yeah. that, that it would feel i think without that bookend it would feel yeah. a little bit like a sort of a movie of two halves whereas this kind of yeah. ne- it, it, this this brings them together a little bit more and 
explains how he's now negotiating that relationship between the Empire mm. and the criminal underworld and his finding his place in that world. Yeah. Him also before Brug at the end does have a bit of a nice uh, uh, rule of three star thing with, with being brought before different imperial courts each time as a way yeah. as a... As a a young man, a slightly older man, and and again a slightly older man. That's it shows the passage of time that the empire's moving on, and he's still the same old twat. Yeah, um, which again is the character. So that's good. That's good. Um, Jack, let's talk about Han Solo. Uh oh, here we go. I completely understand where you're coming from with regards to Ingruber. Um, I think he is an interesting choice, and you're right. He does have enough acting cred. To get by, uh, uh, from Age of Adeline and all that sort of stuff. I think that's it, it, it definitely an interesting I, choice. I know I'm pushing my luck. Don't worry. I know no, I'm no, pushing I think, my luck. With this no, no, I think no. Fuck that. Because I think it's a Star Wars film. They chuck any old fucker in it. In, in like in like the lead role, you will have unknowns for a reason. Hayden um, Christensen. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing though. Sometimes you will end up with some Jake individuals. Lloyd. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. There's a lot of bad examples. <laughs> <laughs> in my opinion, I don't think it can work because I think you nailed it on the head earlier, Jack, with regards to Donald Glover and his version of Lando, because there are ultimately impressions and impersonations. And then there are, as you said, emboldening and and, and, and embodying the spirit of the character. And I think yeah, on their sure. right largely does that. I think the problem is that because of the fraught nature of the production, he's been a bit pulled to and back and forth and it doesn't really... Uh, come off as well as it could, basically. Um, for example, he was hired because during... I think he was he was the first person to audition for, for Han Solo, and they had to, like six audition processes, and it was still going to be him every time. Um, because in the audition, he did a great Han Solo energy and look and that sort of thing. Um, and while Ingruber does really... A, a fucking spot-on Han Solo impression, and I think he's very good at that. And he's also proven himself to be a reasonable actor, as you say, with the Telltale stuff. I think my definitive frustration is that when you do an impression, you are limited to everything the actor has already done and less everything that the actor is capable of doing. So, for example, uh, Donald Glover doesn't every now and again do some very, for lack of a better word, Lando-isms, but he's still... <laughs> doing Donald Glover doing a character and I think he does it quite well whereas I think Ingruber would be very much I better just fall on the rails in the same way that there's a there's a mm. sketch I don't know what it was there's a few bits of point about Bill Hader and he's like trying to do like a Vincent Price for example and it never feels like Vincent Price it always feels like Vincent Price as done by Bill Hader you know it's, it's not a bad thing it looks really cool you can get who he's doing but he couldn't play him in a biopic sort of thing um, so I only really have one suggestion I had two technically but it won't work uh, one is someone at Scott Eastwood. Yeah, what of it? Um, but Scott Eastwood is just far too fucking old, I'm afraid. Uh, for the, the story you're telling, yeah, you could kind of, you know, whittle him down a bit, but he he's he's already... Mm, Tim, what year are you born? 86. He's the same age as you. Yeah. Um, and I'm I don't... too old to be young, Han Solo. You, you, you're too old to be young, Han Solo. It, you, you, mid-30s, it's, it's, it's a thing, even 2018 sort of thing, mid-30s, is older than Han Solo was when he first turned up in A New Hope. It can't, it, it, you can get away with it, but also Scott Eastwood is trying to be his dad being grizzled. I think the older he gets, the more he gets that way. Um, <laughs> Han so Solo only needs to be young enough in this that it's not super weird when he starts making out with a 19-year-old in a couple of years' time in Star Wars. Ooh, yeah. 
Precisely. Exactly. And so, Alden Reich has just turned thirty. He's, yes, he's nineteen eighty nine, and Ingruber is a few months younger than him, born in yeah. the first couple of months of nineteen ninety. So I'm going to ninety. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. That's a good. That's the age you're looking for. I want to check the actors. One. Oh, my one was born nineteen ninety two. Oh, technically he's American, but he's actually an Irishman because you know we claim him. Um, I would like Jack Rayner. R-E-Y-N-O-R, if anyone wanted he to He was in the short running, wasn't he? He was, he was in the short He was in the short list, yeah, yeah. He was. I think he's very good. I think he got mis... Not miscast, but he he his, he got pretty uh, launched very quickly into prominence because he was in Transformers 4, Age of Extinction. Yeah, Age which of is Extinction. He's the crazy boyfriend guy, right? The guy who carries the Romeo and Juliet card. Uh, yes. Which is fucked up. Um, but he's actually really, really good. He's great in Macbeth. Um, he's great in Free Fire, great in The Man with the Iron Heart. I haven't seen. Oh no, yeah, I have seen Detroit. He is okay in Detroit. It's kind of a bit of thing going on that one. Um, and he's amazing in Midsummer. I think he's a really interesting, cool guy, and I think he would have brought the right energy to it. And again, that as we stated right at the start, this isn't me saying it has to be him, but he's another one like, yeah, I'd like to see him have a crack at it. See how it goes. But equally, I would also be curious to see what Ingruber could do. Because fuck it, if he can do it, great. What about you two? Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, like I, I thought Aaron Reich was fine. I thought he was a little bit unjustly treated by the production. Mm-hmm. But I'm not so beholden to him that I wouldn't that I that I reject the idea of seeing anyone anyone else try it. Yeah. Um. I don't really know. I haven't seen Age of Adeline and or in Gruber's like Han Solo uh, impression. At least that not that I can remember. Um. So I, I don't have much of an opinion on him. He, yeah, if, like he certainly looks the part. I had a brief look at you know his IMDb page, and he, you know, mm. I can picture him in in the in the waistcoat. Uh, mm. <laughs> yeah, Rainer Rainer's an interesting pick. I'm not sure I can, but I, I think I've only seen him in Free Fire, so I'm not mm. sure I. <laughs> he looks and very I've only seen him in Transformers. Yeah, so I'm like, mm. yeah. Uh, he's actually fair. in Dollhouse, isn't he? Very briefly, I'm just looking at his IMDb now, but. Uh, I, I don't remember him from Dollhouse. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I think it's it's like you say, it's a tricky role to do. You want someone who can kind of channel the energy, ideally, because hopefully you want to be hitting, you want to be hitting some different notes with the character. And obviously, this was basically Hans, uh, Harrison Ford's first acting job. So it's not like yes. there's younger. Harrison Ford footage that you can go back and go like, oh, okay, this is kind of what he was more like when he was, you know, in his in his late teens, what, early twenties. Watch a few minutes of American Graffiti and say that guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I think it's a tricky needle to thread. I think all the people we've mentioned would be perfectly capable yeah, of doing yeah, it. Yeah. So it's it's really the kind of thing that you just have to hope. And I think Favreau, I think, would hopefully be. The kind of director who could who could coach someone through that, um, yeah. perhaps more so than than Lord and Miller did. I don't know. I think I think Ron Howard's generally pretty good with actors, but um, mm. I'd imagine it was already pretty much a shit show by then. So you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I, I think Favreau is also smart enough not to do what the fans some some fans would insist on, which is just just get Har- Harrison Ford and de-age him. So. Oh God! Oh God! No, that's a terrible not. idea. No. Fuck it. I mean, he wouldn't do it, first of all. But well, he does no. his old man run that he does in Force Awakens. <laughs> I got you from my hips. Um, 
yeah, it's just, it's like it's like when uh, Martin Scorsese's uh, Irishman, where you're like, um, hmm, that man has where, the where face. Where they turn ancient men into <laughs> yeah. old men. Yeah, that man has the face of a, of a CGI fifty year old, but the gait and walk of a ninety year old <laughs> with his shoulders up here, and he's like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you. He's like, okay, cool. Yeah, it's got the face so, of yeah, a fifty year old, but the hemorrhoids of a ninety year old. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, my, my 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 complaints are few. My my uh, uh, opinion is that it's good. I like it because again, I think Solo is is fairly decent. It's fine. It's not a bad film, and you have improved it in my opinion. Thank you. Do all the Wookies look good though? The Wookies look great. Fuck me, that's fine. Good. L'Oreal advert Wookies. No, no, maybe too much. Then. The, the minus, Tim Burton hmm. Planet of the Eight Wookies. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. No. Well, if you want to see more of my Wookies. <laughs> You can follow us on social media. Sequelizers on Twitter, Sequelizers on Instagram, all that good stuff. If you've got opinions and you want to hit me up about how to fix Solo, or if you love Solo, hashtag make Solo 2 happen, you can send us an email, sequelizers at gmail.com if you've got an angry message to send us. If you want to attack me directly for my Star Wars opinions or question my Star Wars nerdery, I'm JLW Chambers on pretty much everything as well. Matt, how can they... Contact you and discuss Star Wars Extended Universe. Don't. Okay, Don't fair care. enough. Tim, how about you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you have a have other things to discuss, yes, you can contact me at Stogs S T O G H Z on the social medias. You can go to theredrighthand.co.uk and read my reviews. I did a review of Solo. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. I give it three out of five. Spoilers. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's fine. It's what it deserves. And I also make my own stuff. Film-wise, uh, you can find that at cheesemint.com. Tim, you moof milker. <laughs> I don't know what a moof is, but you milk him one, son. Um, yeah, what, what, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I am a uh, scruffy-looking nerf herder, uh, and hey. you can find me on Twitter at trivia underscore lad, uh, where I will be talking about films, comics, etc., etc., uh, I sometimes do some freelance writing for various websites. Uh, you can find links for any of that stuff that I do will be posted on there. Um, and just all and sundry opinions. If you would like to support the show, get some bonus content, get some extras from us, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers and get all that good stuff. There's discounts on our merch. There's bonus outtakes from previous episodes. There's stuff that's exclusively recorded for Patreon, like what we've been watching recently and discussions about our favourite Star Wars spaceships, which is the accompanying one for this episode, if you're Mm. interested in checking that out. And, yeah, loads of other good fun stuff that is just us hanging out and talking about films, talking about silly stuff, talking about our favourite actors, talking about food in films... All Love sorts of weird subjects Love that, that don't... Yeah, Matt, Matt, it's all about the food. All the kind of stuff that doesn't really fit into sequelizers kind of goes into the Patreon stuff, and it's a, it's the same kind of chat and stuff you get from us, but just on a slightly different subject. So, yeah, mm. you're welcome to check that out. If you can't support us financially, we totally understand. You can also share us and review us on all the podcatching apps, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Pod Chaser, all the bloody things. There's <laughs> millions of them. Whichever whichever your pod app of choice, you can review us on there. 
And uh, yeah, last of all, I want to give a very special shout and thank you to our high-tier executive producers on Patreon. Up first is Mr. Jonathan Firth-Clark. Thank you very much, John. Golf clap for you. And of course, the inimitable Mike Salvia. And the Scotsman who's sort of not a Scotsman, but also a Scotsman, Stuart Main. Okay. If you know Stuart, he, he'll get that one. I'd <laughs> be very offended by Tim. <laughs> Sorry, Stuart. Yeah. The, the Scots have endured worse at the hands of the English, so, you know. That, that's very true. That's very true. And on that note of, of what, international battle. Hmm. <laughs> Before we do anything worse to uh, exactly. England, well, Scotland, before we offend anyone else, should we try and uh, harmonise barbershop quartet style some Wookiee cheers? Oh, okay. Let's, let's sign off <coughs> with that. I'll go, I'll go in last because okay. I'm not good. Yep. Okay. <laughs> 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 <laughs>